Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekend Recap here on October the 27th of 2021, our last episode of what's going on over there. I'm going to ignore it. The, our last episode of Halloween slash Pride slash Spooky Time Month. Yes. I am... Why are you talking like that? It's still October. The Spookmaster General is still in power. You know what? I was thinking to myself like an hour ago. I've had kind of difficult time at work. Been very busy. I'm kind of tired. For the first time in a long time, I consider just being like, I don't know if I want to do the podcast. I just want to take a nap. And I thought, no. I need to go on. And you know what? Usually I feel better after doing this show. And then I fucking remembered it's still fucking October. <laughs> oh, I'm... I have to deal with this still. Oh, I'm sorry my existence is a bother to you. You know, I die after the end of the month. <laughs> that does give me some sense of satisfaction and excitement. And it's painful. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you're satisfied with yourself. A little bit, yeah. yeah. All right, well... Now we at least know where Thanks each other are coming from. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got you, buddy. <laughs> I'm Nick, joined, I guess, not by Chris still. I, Chris it's... comes back to life at the beginning of November. Um, so, Or the all the spirits possessing Chris uh, get expunged, I guess. Yes. Is a, yes. Of putting... Speaking of spirits, uh, <laughs> we are... So... At the beginning of this month, uh, my, my, my esteemed co-host threw a little bit of a curveball at me when Chris suggested, you know what, we're going to do uh, something different. We're going we're gonna to do, we're gonna do an LGBTQ-themed series instead mm-hmm. of a spooky series because we didn't do Pride Month. It's like, all right, cool. Had a really good time reading uh, Boys Run the Riot. Mm-hmm. Wonderful mm-hmm. manga. Uh, then we read... A dumb horror series. And you know what? It turned out, hey, maybe that, you know, reading LGBTQ theme stuff was a good idea. And then we married the two, uh, equally married the two, uh, with this recommendation, which is The Night Beyond the Tri-Cornered Window or Sankoku Mado no Sotogawa Wayoru, which is not only a spooky series because it's supernatural horror mystery. Not only is it LGBTQ themed because it's a yaoi, it's a boy love series, but also it's incredibly timely because a couple weeks ago, the anime adaptation of this series started running. So, yeah, what a great pick. But. Well, um, <laughs> I will say this. This is not the least interesting Yaoi series that we have read for this show. (laughs) Certainly to a a certain extent, I suppose. Um, This this is um, an odd series to talk about uh, because it is, on one hand, as you mentioned, it is a, a boys love series. Uh, but on the other hand, it is also a, a exorcism series dealing mm. with the paranormal, particularly spooky ghosts. And it is um, 
I don't know of an eloquent way to put it beyond does not actually give much of a shit about the ghost part of it. <laughs> like, like this is the least atmospheric, scary ghost story of all. Um, at least at the start. I think it starts to get a little bit more interest with what it does, but it does not ever use the art to really pull you into it. To give you an example, in the first chapter, they find a, a Frankenstein woman's body that have been that, that has been made out of the severed parts of other murdered women. And they find it in the most lit open room. And that's it. You're just like, one of those moments where you're like, huh, felt like you could have made this kind of like a terrifying visual or given some suspense or dread leading up to this moment instead of being like, there it is, Franken-murder body. There are a number of moments like that where it's not just so much a matter of the art is not great, which it, it really isn't, but so much as it does not do a good job of conveying the scenes that you're supposed to be bearing witness to mm. or conveying the story that is supposed to be conveyed sequentially. There were multiple moments where there was like either a beat missing or there was an extra beat where there yeah. didn't need to be. And as a result of that, I was really thrown off in terms of what I was supposed to be feeling about any particular scene. Uh, I feel like the, one aspect of the series that at least gets a lot of focus in terms of how it is drawn out is the relationship between the two guys. Yes. Which is not that surprising. I also really hate the relationship between <laughs> the two guys. Well, here's the thing. And this is, this is where, so I, I guess to give like a real quick, too long, didn't read synopsis for my opinion on this series. It is, <laughs> I, I don't, it's not for me. No part of the series is for me. Like I, I just found myself like deflecting off of it, like a fucking shield or something. But I will say, I started off thinking that this series was incredibly boring because the relationship between the leads, Makaido is the lead of the story. He's basically mm -hmm. like a very innocent, naive person who has this ability to see ghosts, uh, very easily kind of, uh, overwhelmed character. And then he runs into Hayakawa who is the uh, exorcist who is going around doing these things. And there's no elegance to their meeting. The first chapter is like, I work at a bookstore. An exorcist is here. He wants me to work with him because I can see goat. It's it's very like quickly done. Yeah. And then their relationship is this weird because the start really just frames exorcism as a sexual release. It, it, is, it, it, it is specifically implied his ghost hunting powers need him to be sexually charged for it to happen. But when they don't catch yeah. a ghost at one point, he's like, don't worry, I'll give you a hand job later. And I was like, all right, this is like, I guess that's where we're going. But that I'm there's very, very, very blunt uh, double entendres, like mm -hmm. the implication that uh, in order to activate their because Hiyakawa's abilities are greater when he works in conjunction with Mikado, who essentially has more potency and potential than Hiyakawa does, and Hiyakawa's the one with all the technique. And so this is explained eventually as Mikado has a really big soul, yeah. <laughs> uh, which Hiyakawa needs to reach inside of and be inside of. 
and almost always is achieved by him doing putting his his hand into Mikado's soul from behind. Wink, wink. You know, it's something that a series with more grace uh, would, you know, be incredibly suggestive and sensuous, but because of the it because the artwork is, as we've said, kind of not great at conveying things, it just kind of like it's just okay, he's 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 grabbing him and all right, fine. Yeah. Um and so through that, uh Hikawa is able to be a much greater exorcist because uh Mikado is better at sensing things than he is and also he can kind of use him as like a battery. Yeah. It seems like <laughs> to do extra stuff. Um, and I, I say the word use, and that's really like that's the relationship. Yeah, that, that is their relationship. Which I understand that it's you know there there is the very standard uh, thing for a lot of Yaoi series of the top and the bottom, and there is of course that kind of Harlequin romance thing as well in you know. Uh, heterosexual couple romance uh, stories where one partner is somewhat more owning of the other mm-hmm. and the problematic issues that go along with that aren't really ever brought into focus. I will give some credit to this series in that there are at least ways that it conveys that what Hiyakawa does with Mikado is dangerous and other characters bring up that it's a problem yeah like that's what i was trying to get to is at the start this is just kind of like a relationship thing like it's just used as a way to like simulate the idea of sex and hiwakawa is more of like the the uh, as you said like sort of the the head in this and the one doing the ownership um and it just comes off as like this, like, all right, this is just this romance, and we toss some exorcism stuff on top of it to be like, you know, here, here's here's an actual narrative, I guess, to, to go along with this. But as it goes along, it becomes pretty clear that the relationship Hiwakawa has with Bakaido is sinister in nature is maybe the wrong word to use, but it is definitely a manipulative and controlling one, and a Hiwakawa is painted or presented in a lens as a bad guy. He is he is specifically a manipulative person. The whole name of the series, the tri-cornered window, is basically a spell that Hiwakawa puts on Makaido to leave this triangle-shaped mark on the back of him that he uses to track him everywhere and to make sure he has full ownership of him. And a lot of people kind of point out that like when they notice that there there's a bit of this relationship going on, they're like, you should really, like to Makaido, like, hey, you should really get away from this guy um but the series has like a bad case of having its cake and eating it too where you do that but then you also still do just play into them having that kind of like romanticized controlling relationship between the two characters like i i wasn't able to get all the way through this series um but at the point i was at it really just felt like that was put out there as like hey we're gonna acknowledge it we're also mm. just going to play around with this a little bit. We're going to have a little bit of fun. That's what we call the worst of two worlds. Yes. <laughs> and you shouldn't do it. <laughs> it's one of those difficult things where we now live in an age where people are much more uh, conscious of problematic 
problematic relationship tropes because of the way that the dynamics between romantic partners are examined differently than they were in ages where a lot of the tropes uh, were given rise to. But those tropes are still popular, so people mm-hmm. still want to do them. And look, I understand it is tricky to fulfill your desire to unashamedly go for those things while still not being, you know, fully problematic. It is difficult to, you know, do twists on those existing yeah. ideas in a way that won't come across as still being problematic to people while also potentially just damaging your attempts to fulfill the, you know, your your checklist of the way that things are supposed to play out. I understand that. But it is very, very easy for if, if you just to also just go like, well, I acknowledged it. Therefore, you just like, no, that's that's just that's basically just like you put a sticker that says, yeah, I kind of know that this is wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. Which if you're going to do that, I feel like you really need to just be like much more unashamed about it. <laughs> yeah. Look, I know this is not this is not cool, but I want to do it anyway. And it's just my story. Because <laughs> like eventually there's a, a third boy, I suppose you could say in this scenario. I don't remember his name, but he's a fortune teller. And uh, he is the one who kind of sees that this this spell has been cast on Mikaido and that Hirokawa is kind of manipulating him. And at first, it's kind of brought up as like a narrative, like, oh, wow. Then later on, it just becomes like a joke. Like, don't you care that he's doing it? Like, well, but I don't think so, or something like that. Or like, oh, you don't realize he has literally cast a spell on you to like make sure you're under his thrall going forward. Just like, huh? And then the big dumb airhead walks away from the scene without resolving anything. You're just like, all right, so I guess that's just how this plot line is going to kind of sit for a while. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's how it is. Like Mikado. Well, he sure is a yaoi bottom. I mean, he's just, he's just yeah. like, so he just lets himself get pushed into, into submissive roles. And he's like, I'm kind of upset about this, but I'll just keep going along with it because you know, Ugu, you know, it's, yeah. it, <laughs> it's <laughs> at the point that I'm at now, it's like, this is the main reason why I can't read boy love series. It's just like, there's always just like, why do I hate, why would I care about this person? Yeah. I, I, there, there's, there's quite a lot of that in this series. And it, it, it as you said, it, it always, I, I don't know why I was reading the officially translated version of this series. Sublime manga did it. Um, and I found myself so often taking days several days to read a single volume and at the end of it i would just be like why did that take so fucking long it's because half the time when you're reading the sequence of panels there's just something off about it something with the way characters talk to each other something with the way scenes are constructed a lot of the time you just don't really know what's kind of going on or why characters are talking the way they are why characters do things like at first you're like oh they're like ghost hunters but half the time they don't solve the problem they just kind of leave um there's like a narrative of like a serial killer and then that's kind of pushed to the side for four more volumes so they can <laughs> do nothing eventually like Mikado's like i'm never gonna see hawakawa again and then like the next chapter he's hanging out with hawakawa and they kind of address yeah. it as like Oh, I saw you at the mall. Let's hang out. Like it's just one of these things. You're like, I feel like I'm missing chapters, or like 
were these like different light novels that were put together after the fact or something like that? Like, what? how is this functioning? Even early on in the series, when it is mainly like episodic and just getting used to, you know, the character's dynamic as it develops, it still feels that way. Like a chapter will start and you'll just, okay, wh- why are we here? It feels yeah. like we're in the middle of something that's happening. Um, also, uh, because he's, you know, one of the series, other attractive guys, uh, Mukay, who is the, uh, fake, um, psychic guy yeah. who's not fake. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was an interesting, I actually, that whole thing might be the most interesting part of the whole, se- <laughs> of the whole series. He's a false psychic, but he does have psychic medium abilities. Um, but he's the one who warns Mikado about stuff. And I knew immediately right away, oh, this is going to be one of the other guys that the Mikado is going to be kind of teased with because he looks exactly like <laughs> he's, he's tall and pretty and blonde. And I, when they're on the page together, it looks like there's just two. Yikano. Yeah. Oh, I did really, I had no hopes for this series when I was reading like the first couple of chapters. And then as I read a little bit more, I was getting more and more disappointed because it feels like there is some aspects to this series that could be, could make it much more interesting. Um, You know, like. The the idea of like ghost hunters and psychics expelling spirits and stuff has been done to death, sure. But throwing in the twist of, you know, the relationship that Hiyakawa and Mikado share, where Hiyakawa is like abusing his position with Mikado and he's doing very patently really bad stuff. Like he's talking about how, oh, I discovered Mikado, therefore I own him. No one else can have him. And everyone else is kind of like immediately gleams this from their relationship if they have anything to do with the world of spirits they like immediately tell what's going on there's a bunch of stuff there that could lead to some really interesting drama and they do like really quickly set up like hey there's some long term stuff that's going on because there's this girl named Erica who can cast curses on people but there's also like some shadowy figure who's actually manipulating her so there's all these elements that could lead to an interesting story but unfortunately, Mikado's not a really good protagonist. And the point of the series is that, you know, is teasing the sexual tension between he and Hiyakawa as it gets as their relationship gets more and more intense. And there's just some bad juju going on between them where I don't want to see that. I yeah. want I would prefer that, you know, he get out of that relationship, which is not going to happen now. So. I would say, because I actually think the Erica stuff is the most interesting stuff in the series. She's a schoolgirl who's cursed, and she works for basically this, like, new wave religion group who are specifically trying to control her. And she herself is kind of just going along with it. But then, like, she makes friends, and she realizes, like, oh, the closer they get to this, the more dangerous it becomes for them. And she has this ability to, like, sort of deep-speak you know, talk in a second language that no one else can really hear unless they have sort of supernatural powers. She's an interesting character and she's saddled with these leads that you just yeah. don't give a shit about. Like, the most exciting point is when the two leads are in like a, an astral projected form spying on this church and they start realizing what's up and Erica has to like 
panic and use her deep speech to kind of like tell them to run away before they get like caught because they're going to have bad things done to them. And it's like an actual kind of tense moment where there's like a like a drama of like what's going to happen and some of the characters start reacting badly and, and, you know, not running away when they should. And there's like a little bit of tension to it. And then it's like, I don't know. And after that, we're going to, I don't know. This, this woman has like a grocery store that has like a ghost <laughs> in the banana section. It's a banana ghost. You got to stop it. <laughs> or we won't. We'll just leave. <laughs> like, <laughs> Okay. Well, I helped to stop it, but I don't really know what's going on between me and Hiakawa. And there's this like growing tramp stamp on my back. And I don't really <laughs> like there's, there's so many points where they could do a ghost like scenario and you're like oh could this tie into the narrative and you're like nah not really <laughs> like <laughs> like could there be like some narrative similarity between us like nah there's like a ghost in a cabinet or some shit like that <laughs> you just gotta deal with it uh yeah i feel like that there really are elements that could have made this a much more interesting series so yeah it's it's an odd one uh, it's not the series that I was expecting going into it, though. I will definitely give it that. So I should also note, uh, I think part of the reason why this series was recommended is because there is a movie uh, version of this coming out in this year. I don't know if it's already out or if it's coming out, uh, but I think maybe uh, doing like a live action movie version of it might it's like it was released in January, January. So. That might be the better way to digest this story. Like, I guess you could do something with the idea of like, hey, um, there's this guy, there's a, a more controlling member, and he's literally casting a spell on him. What a forbidden romance. And then you just kind of cut out the fact that there's a lot of exorcism stuff because it's not actually that interesting. <laughs> I will only be interested in it if it's like the Full Metal Alchemist movie and a oh, like they have to stop it. A G tier character is elevated to the main villain. And uh, the main actor is like recording lot is dubbing recording dub lines in like his bathroom at home or something <laughs> like that. I'll stop you, Edward Ulrich. Uh, did you say Ulrich? <laughs> okay. Huh. But hey, it but it was spooky. <laughs> Yeah, and it also it was it it, it didn't get the as presented by treatment. <laughs> yeah, well, wasn't quite that bad. As I said, in the end, I think I also just I like. There's part of me that's like, do I just not care for boys love stuff? Like, I I feel like I have an O and four record or an O and three record with it on this podcast. I'm like, have I just read the really bad ones, or do I just not dig that genre? Well, I mean, we liked Blue Flag, but that was not a is, boys. Is, love I was gonna series. say, is that considered boys love? I I think that that's it. I think that it's specifically the way, like, it's not just the presence of, you know, it's a story about romance between two guys so much as there is a subgenre that has a lot of ways of doing things that are probably just not going to appeal to us if the track record of how they've appeared on the show shows. So, or do we have to just start going for the real fucking dumpster fire ones? Like, just find the worst, trashiest ones and be like, "All right, it's you know." Did nobody do that. <laughs> well, once I, we got to find out what Credo Prime's reading now. Hold on. <laughs> Are you sure this is a good idea? <laughs> no, but we it would be spooky. <laughs> yeah, it's for research. All right. Well. Uh, with that all said, uh, we do have some manga to talk about yes. this week, but not as much as usual. No, my hero. 
So mm-hmm. no, no like uh, irregular stuff either because there's no kaiju, there's no spy family, no Boruto. So pretty light on stuff tonight. Yeah, so. it should go quick and easy. <laughs> Two and a half hours later, like, and that's what happened. Another our... thing about the way the Ric Flair's. <laughs> <laughs> Like we don't even wait for some. It's just like we're like halfway through fucking talking about Red Hood, and it's it's still like, oh Nick, it's ten thirty. I think we need to really speed things up. Uh all right. Let's talk about Undead Unluck number eighty four. Let's play. Uh, so we open with Spring declaring that the scores shall be settled in a decisive three round match. The winner shall take with them all the lives gathered here, and uh. Oh fuck! What's her name? Oh, the lead. Buko. But Nick, don't you mean Buko? Let me just slide over here. The hat fell off. Dun, 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 dun. Slide back in. Fucked my hair. It's was, all good. I was so shocked that you did say her name but i didn't even see that coming <laughs> i thought you were talking about you know wow one of the members of of you know the alliance that you know did all the sciencey stuff or whatever but no nope don't care about no. them at all just wanted to get the buko joke out there cool. anyway <laughs> uh spring shows up and drops off a big thing of artifacts and uh, he's like, yes, we shall use the trinkets of the past, artifacts amassed from the land of the rising sun in our showdown. And uh, we cut around to some of the other fights showing they are still happening. So maybe we will still have a chance to see these. Uh, in particular, we also see Huez is uh, going up against, oh, I forgot her name. And this is a verbu pun. Yusai, I think. Um, something like Andy's, that. Andy's master. Andy's right. master. I'm going to call her Busai, though. Because it's a little bit more reason that way. I don't know if they're if the fight's actually going on or if they're just kind of like both like they just both came to this broken window at the same time and they're yeah. each wondering if the other is responsible for it. It's like, are you gonna clean this up? Did you break this window? <laughs> um so uh Spring starts talking about how like, ah yes, I haven't had a bout with man in quite some long. This is so great. Thank you for giving me this, God. It was just like Spring, why are you doing it? And then lightning crashes from the, so- the sky and destroys one of the cherry blossoms. And Fuka's like, wait a minute, wasn't that a person? Stop this. Those tre- those trees will go back to people afterwards. Stop. Don't send the thunderclouds. And, uh, you know, Spring is just like, oh, I do not care. Spring lightning and spring winds alike shall all be the strokes of your great misfortune on luck. And uh, Fuka is just like, why is he doing this? Why is he suddenly so aggressive? And Clothy chimes in saying... God brainwashed him. He, even though he's a quest UMA, he had an interest in humans and was holding back his power. So God forced the power out of him and is making him lose control. And Fuku's like, God, God sucks. Like He's such a dick. I fucking hate this dude. Uh, and Clothy's like, yeah, you know, but we are created by God to torment humans. Like being interested in human is a bad thing. Like he doesn't brainwash me because I'm like, I've had my role turned against me. I'm not like him. But UMAs and humans just aren't compatible. And Fuko declares, that's wrong. That isn't true. And starts marching forward saying, I was the same way as Spring. 
Just like you were hated for your blossoms bringing misfortune, I was hated for being a walking jinx. I couldn't play with anybody. We see a little flashback of her looking out on uh, her classmates who were all playing uh, dodgeball, and she would sit inside because she was like, "Ah, oh, no, I prefer to draw pictures and stuff instead." And I do, I do, I do gotta give props to her teachers though. Yes, we were trying to include her. So, yeah, it's very good. Uh, she, she even notes, even gaining someone's affection was terrifying. And when my grandpa died and my favorite manga ended, I thought death was an option. She starts charging forward. Uh, and spring was just like, ah, all right. You're going to try to kill me with your own luck. Is that what you're going to do? A frivolous act. And he looks up and Billy's there trying to shoot him with a bunch of bullets. And, uh, spring's like, yeah, that won't work here, bitch. I'm going to negate that action and turn your hand into a tree. And your hand is a tree. <laughs> I just like the little Andy side, like sidebar of like you could use my katana to cut off your hand so to regrow. <laughs> uh, but Fuko keeps charging. She climbs up and she she's talking about. She's like, look, there's somebody who met who met me and barged their way into my heart. Also, he get to know me, and that someone is Andy. And just like how Andy risked his life in order to get to know me, I'm gonna get to know Spring. And she starts digging through this thing of artifacts. And Billy watching on is just like. What is she doing? Every time she touches one of those artifacts, she's taking in a huge influx of those memories. It's going to fry her brain and kill her. And she's going through all these artifacts, specifically trying to search for the memory that made spring care about humans. And we, we see something. She, she touches something and has this influx of memories where she sees spring. And you can see a little bit of a story kind of going around people tossing out flyers of the blossom demon, uh, spring carrying around what looks like a top and then running into somebody who looks a lot like Ishin. Probably not Ishin, because this was a very long time ago, but potentially the last Unbreakable user. Mm-hmm. And maybe that armor has been carried around for a while. Uh, I like this because... Yeah, it's, I mean... Is it... Good? Go ahead. I was going to say, I like this because it's a tease to Ishin actually maybe being a relevant character. They've sort of just been like, I make things that the people around here use. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, a guy who just is kind of around and that's just it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it, it was really interesting to see that just because he's probably the least explored character who's part of this entire conflict so mm-hmm. far. So it's a very it's a very cool, interesting little thing to add. And uh, we cut back to Billy, who's just saying this is suicidal. I don't know what her plan is, but uh, trying to do that without train is simply. And I like that Annie just cuts him off. Is like, yeah, whatever. Just believe like it's kind of one of those things of like it's a shonen. She's just going to be able to do it because she can. But I like the way Andy just cuts him off. He's like, just believe. Shut up and just fucking believe you big nerd. That's the way Fuko fights. She learns about her target. Gets to like them and drives them to death. It's the world's cruelest ability. I don't believe. Oh. I don't believe that Fuko can fight off. <laughs> Sorry. I don't believe that Fuko can fight off. Oh, God, what was his fucking name? Kylo Ren. Because <laughs> she didn't do any training with the lightsaber. Yeah. She's got no Jedi powers, but all of a sudden she can just beat him, even though. <laughs> Yeah, I'm waiting for like somebody to just be like, "Oh, uh, fucking, where where was the guy? Why couldn't Andy do this? Like, let's have a guy yeah. in the seat instead, and he would just do it." Um, finishes up the thing by saying, "It's the world's cruelest ability within the world's kindest person," and seeing how she's had to live with that all of her life, 
There ain't no way she's going to be dying here. She pulls at the top. Her eyes are watered. Her nose is bleeding. She looks pretty roughed up. And she says, let's play with this top. And once we do, I'll be able to like you even more. And uh, it's a big two-page spread, basically, of her showing that she's found the artifact she was looking for. Yeah, it's a cool sequence. Uh, I did really uh, think that this chapter has a great pacing to it. I mean, when you when you break it down, it is a girl digging through a big box of toys. That's really <laughs> it. It really is. Uh, one thing that I also kind of uh, appreciate is Fuko's essentially not wearing a shirt beyond a sports bra, and at no point does it feel like the series has sexualized that in any way. Like, she actually gets to just look cool doing all of her things. And I really, really enjoyed Andy's explanation of her power of, like, she gets to like them and then drives them to death. It's the cruelest ability and the kindest person. It's just a very eloquent way of describing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the series has definitely come a long way from, you know, all the things. (laughs) From how it started. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. Excellent. Uh, let's move on then to Eden Zero, chapter Eden Zero. Yeah, one sixty-five. Fork in the road, and uh, yeah, that's supposed to be. Wait, wait, no, no, hold on. You can't just say things like that. What do you mean? It's a fork in the road, Nick. It's a fine, fine, fine. Go on, go on. All right, go on. Uh, so we open with Xiao Mei's feet. As we do. And she oh, that's why. That's why. <laughs> and uh, she she says, a fork in the road. Sometimes we see two paths before us. And at those times, we must only choose one. We'll never know what lies on the path not chosen. But that path, too, leads to its own world. And perhaps... Of course. Okay. Course. Nick, you with the Serene t-shirt. Uh, this series is all about jumping between parallel timelines isn't it no nick that's an alternate timeline what i think they're referring to here is perhaps a parallel timeline but um no it's different uh okay Uh, May or whatever her name is continues on, but that path too leads to its own world, and perhaps there exists a you who is completely unlike the you you are now. So, bump, bump, bum. I don't really know what the narrative consequence of that is supposed to be in that moment, but we cut back to the uh, planet. Uh, I forget the name of this planet, I don't care anymore, <laughs> where everything's shaking, and Cheeky's like, bombs. And they're like, yeah, 20,000 antimatter bombs on this planet. Detonation is going to be in 20 minutes. And Happy's like, we have to hurry and get out of here. Chiki's like, no, we have to stop them. And Pino's like, no, we can't. The terminal is down. He used an independent all-link system network to activate them. Uh, Chiki's like, well, what's going to happen to the planet? She's like, well, I estimate it'll be destroyed. And she's like, but there are a bunch of people on the planet. And she's like, uh, Rebecca's like, I know how you feel, but there's nothing we can do. And Shiki says, no, I'm going to stop it. And Rebecca says, no, we have to get out if we want to live. And Shiki stares back at her. And then the background fades into space. And we cut back to the area Zhao Mei was on where there's this metaphorical fork in the galactic road. And she is literally there saying, Shiki, you're at a fork in the road. 
One path leads to escape and survival. The other path of wrath's action leads to death. You must choose for yourself. Now, which path will you take? And Shiki, bravely, the hero, <laughs> comes back and says, let's leave. <laughs> I was shocked. <laughs> like the moment after, she's like, huh. All right, let's go along with this. Let's see what it, let's see where this is going. Uh, why? Sh- I mean, I really, really feel as if this should not have been the way the choices were laid before Shiki. The way that it should have been laid out was you must choose for yourself. One path of rash action will lead to death. The other leads to escape and survival for you and all of your friends. Because when it's put this way, it makes it seem like he's just taken the easy way out. And then the bad end game over screen comes up and says, you chose the wrong option because you were a fucking pussy coward. <laughs> so anything that happens after this point, regardless of, oh, they use Rebecca's powers and go to the other one, or uh, they make the best of a bad situation. Shiki looks like a fucking asshole coward in this because of the way it was laid out here. Well, it's also like weirdly phrased of like, one path is you escaping and going off into the cosmos and many die. The other path is you try to stop something you don't know how to fix and then you probably just die and everyone who was still going to die anyway also dies. Like, it's not like it was like, Shiki, you could sacrifice yourself to save everybody. It's, Shiki, you are not a fucking smart person. You don't know how to solve this problem. You were just going to slam your head into it and hope you solved it. <laughs> It is presented in a way as if it would convince someone skeptical and rational minded to escape, mm-hmm. not Shiki, who thinks with his heart instead of his head. And it still convinces him like I'm OK with Shiki making a wrong choice for the right reasons, but it seems as though he made a wrong choice for the right reasons for someone who is not him. Yeah, like it's it's uh, it's mind boggling how weird this is. <laughs> it's it's like this is the narratively interesting choice, but for all of the wrong reasons. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, so, yeah, Shiki's like, let's get out of here. Literally, the next panel, Wise crashes into the scene to be like, I've got a ship, everybody. Let's get out of here. <laughs> and I'm like, would the other path had Shiki taken it if he's like no I'm gonna do it would Weiss's ship crashed into the wall and just bounced off <laughs> don't worry everyone all safe <laughs> damn way around and dock. Uh, so they're like yeah we gotta get out of here uh, everyone hops on uh, Shiki's like wait where did Shura go uh, they, they dash away uh, we cut over to the remaining members of Ocean who are escaping on an escape pod, and I don't remember her name, but Mirror Girl says, we're leaving Prince Shura behind, and Lyra says, he was fun to hang out with, but I just can't with him anymore. And I don't, like... Like, it feels like such an underwhelming way to say, like, yeah, I know the guy was literally trying to commit robot genocide and frequently stripped women down and walked them as slaves around town to humiliate him. But, like, ugh, 
I'm so done with this guy. Like, geez. Like, it's that, latter, a... that latter one was clearly not Lyra's problem with him because she was she had an entire game show where she yeah. had the same Well, that's <laughs> someone pointed out to like, shouldn't the mirror girl have been the one to be like, fuck Prince Sure, we're leaving? Like, because she's the one who actually seemed to have a change of heart and was like, yeah, I guess we shouldn't have killed Robot Grandpa after all. Look, it's just all the characters that were popular enough with hero to survive this arc okay <laughs> pretty much because like not shown in that flashback of people who have died was fabiano last week who i guess theoretically could still be alive but the way this chapter goes unless he secretly woke up crawled his ass to a ship and escaped leaving a bunch of people behind which feels really out of character for him he's probably definitely going to die when the bombs go off so i don't know um Anyway, we cut back to the giant space battle for some reason. Yeah, remember it, that? <laughs> we have to stop the worm. It's a big thing. The fucking uh, boyfriend of girl who died is like, Yeah, and he just fucking flies into the worm and smashes it, which I guess had enough force to knock the worm's blast away, which gives Eraser enough time to erase it from existence. What a satisfying conclusion to this scenario. Uh the Imperial leader, who I don't think has been shown to this point, is just like, Grr, you rebel scum. And then the Eden Zero shows up and Hermit gets on the giant communicator. And it was like, you all have to leave. The space battle is done. Uh, sure is dead. Uh, Nero is dead. It doesn't matter. A bunch of bombs are going to go off anyway. So unless you just want to needlessly throw your life away, you have to escape now. Um, and evil general of the army is like, we will never do this. We shall fight to the last man. And someone we can't even see bonks him on the back of the head and was like, no, we're going to leave. Goodbye. <laughs> and they decide to leave the battle. Um, justice. Uh, comes in the communicator and it's like Eraser you believe this people and Eraser's like I doubt they're lying and he's like but Creed and Jesse are still on Nero 66 would you abandon them and Jesse contacts in and it's just like I, I, I got off the planet <laughs> and they're like where's Creed and Jesse can't uh, say it <laughs> uh, let's go Justice <laughs> let me say this in as non-incriminating a way as possible <laughs> I did not kill him. <laughs> All right. I, but I don't know anything further. Goodbye. <laughs> I didn't shoot him. <laughs> A bullet was fired from my gun. It may have ended up inside of him, but I do not. I did not kill him. Like there's someone, there's someone else who's with him. They ask about like another person who died and they're just like, he didn't make it. And, just, and, just, <laughs> and Jesse's just like, Shit, I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great there was a second person with Jesse. And they're like, Jesse, what happened to Creed? Like, uh, uh, and the other person goes, I'm like, what are you talking about? You shot Creed. You see another bullet got shot. And like, well, Ralph didn't make it either. <laughs> Click. <laughs> <laughs> just like, ah, fumbling with his gun. Blam. He just has that to kill. shot me. <laughs> he just keeps killing his way out of the planet. He like shoots some more. Like, ah, like Pino. Boom. Ah, just panicking. <laughs> Goes to his friend's funeral. Oh, man. He was taken from us so young. Can't believe that happened. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why, you know, they say that gun safety is so important. You know, like when I shot him, I couldn't believe. Oh, I mean. Uh, uh, <laughs> what? 
shoots everyone at the funeral. <laughs> um, so yeah, everyone decides to start leaving. Uh, Witch watches on this and says, well, looks like everything worked out after all. Um, <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> we cut over to uh well there's there, there's also there's laguna who just thinks to himself princess uh couch is like do you think all the people on Nero 66 made it out and moscoy says i'm sure they're fine moscoy which i guess is supposed to be comforting or i don't know moscoy's also a joke character so maybe it's a humorous thing of like i'm sure they're fine as there's people in their homes who are just like i'm too poor to afford a spaceship i'm going to die also, uh, Hermit apparently really didn't like giving a speech to to you know galactic armies because she says, "Can we not make the extreme introvert do the speeches?" Which there's like seven more of them right there. Yeah, literally anybody could have done it. Couchpo could have done it and thrown in a couple mozzarella stick references to really like liven the crowd up. She really got really gotten people engaged because you know she's an expert beekeeper, yeah, and she understands how to get people to actually you know watch through the entire message. You all have to get out of here, but before we explain why, remember to smash that like button, hit the subscribe. <laughs> this evacuation message is sponsored by <laughs> Raid Shadow Legends <laughs> and Tushy. Uh, we cut over to the infirmary where Shiki is like. Witch, you're perfectly fine. <laughs> and Witch is like, you've really gotten strong. And they make a joke that she's like, I can't understand this programming. I'm so happy that you're so strong, but sad at the same time. Rebecca's like, it's because you're like the Eden Zero mom. And this is like Shiki is leaving the nest. And this is this is so just hero just explaining what fetish she's going to fulfill. Like yes. that's that's what's she going is, on. She is the MILF in the series. Uh but then all of a sudden alarms start going off. And they're like, what's going on? And the ship's propulsion units aren't budging. They're not moving anywhere. And fucking Ziggy shows up on screen in a two-page spread. He's like, you bitch, you made the wrong choice. He didn't say that, but I feel like all like Ziggy's dialogue could be improved if he started calling people bitches more often. <laughs> I don't care, bitch. Yeah. Uh, so everyone's like, well, what's going on? He says, yeah, their functions are frozen. Ziggy's got control of everything. The detonation's going to be in one minute. Uh, we cut to Wise, who's like, we got to use fast travel. And they're like, no, everything's frozen. We can't. The doors are locked. We can't get to a second spaceship. We're going to die. And Ziggy continues, this wouldn't have happened if you had tried to stop the explosion. You wouldn't have ended up destroying everything. And Rebecca starts thinking with a focus on her feet which I guess is supposed to be suggestive of the idea she might use Cat Leaper, but it's on her feet and not her legs specifically, so it's just a really weird shot. She says, no. Oh, sorry, no, this isn't this is Rebecca, this is Witch, which makes the shot even more weird and confusing. Yeah. She says, no, this will not go according to your plans. Not as long as the Shields of Edens is here. And we see what is meant to be a, I guess, badass shot of Witch... With energy, I don't know, going Super Saiyan, but the art is so comedically overdrawn and sexualized that I laughed the first time I saw the page, so it did not have the intended effect on me. Alright, so, there are a lot of different things in this chapter going on 
that individually I like. We get, you know, this weird moment for our hero where he makes the choice to save his friends, but it's presented in a weird way. We get this moment where the person that they've been trying to save for much of this battle is getting a chance to now in turn save them. And it's like, hey, that's cool. You know, mm-hmm. giving her a moment to shine after she's just been, a, you know, abused the yeah. this, to this point. Uh, I even like the way that some of the people like react to the news that, you know, this bomb is going to go off and kill everyone. I mean, it would have been way more effective if we had seen any of those soldiers prior to this point and then had not just established them in this one moment. But it adds a little bit to it. I like the fact that we established not just what's going on with our heroes, but with like, hey, here are the people in Justice's group. Here are some of the surviving members of Shura's group. So they are getting away and we might see them all later. It makes it feel like this is actually an event that is affecting a lot of people all at once. And I was really at the point where I thought, oh, we're not just going to immediately have Rebecca time leap and they make the other choice and everything's fixed. That might very well still happen. Let's be real. Yeah. But I was actually like, okay, we might actually go along with this for at least a little while and see what's going on. And because it was not an expected thing to happen, uh, I was kind of cool with that. I also like it when Ziggy shows up because he looks terrifying with his, you know, uncovered cracked eye from the cracked metal over his robot eye, which looks like an organic eye, but whatever. Uh, So, you know, there are a lot of different things here that I do really appreciate, but because of the way it is all put together in the framework of how Eden Zero normally is presented, it does not click as well as it would just fundamentally a different series yeah it would be like if somebody was like hey do you like chocolate caramel and uh wafers and i'm like yes and they're like cool i took them and smashed them together into a big ball and it's on a plate and you could just eat it i was like oh well that's not the ideal way you'd want to digest any of these things so but i I guess yeah gross ick (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's that's really all my thoughts on it. I'm like, I guess it's going to be kind of interesting to see where we go from here. It is surprising. But as you said earlier, it's like it's a weird kind of way of phrasing the choice to be like, Shigi, you could run away and survive or question mark. I guess you die. Which choice are you going to make? And it's like, uh, (laughs) also, this is a different matter, but um. Uh, more more of a nitpicky thing, I guess, really, is what, how I should phrase it. But the fact that we get the I'm Zhao Mei, the narrator here thing for Zhao Mei really takes the impact out of her uh, literally appearing to present the decision to Shiki later on. If that had just been the way that it unfolded, it would have been much more jarring and much more attention grabbing because it would be like, oh, wow, this is like, you know, the as close as we get to an omniscient, you know, writer basically telling Shiki, hey, what you decide to do here is going to be it's going to make a huge difference. But because she shows up earlier and says that's what's going to happen later, then it kind of robs Shiki of that moment of the impact of his decision. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. 
Speaking of stories. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Hunter's Guild Red Hood, chapter number 16, the true book. So, the very important character, the cat trainer girl who pretended to be taking the test, she... <laughs> The fact that she is at the center of so much of these goings-on is so weird. Um, she reacts to the fact that the mayor from the town just snatched a velo and left with him in a puff of smoke portal. Uh, and she's trying to figure out what's going on. And Tilty also chimes in with, what the heck is going on? Thanks, Tilty. Uh, Cinderella, having gotten a bit of a breakdown of the news from Lycaon, goes to the ship and just flies into the window and calls out to Debonair is like, we, we got to talk. Um, and uh, Debonair and Grimm are both like, how the hell is she in here? How did she break? How is she this close to HQ? There's supposed to be a barrier surrounding the island. Okay. Uh, but Cinderella says, Velo created an opening. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what about thing? Eh. Whatever. Let's That's move on. Then we cut to the mayor and Bello. The mayor continuing on the line of thought that he left off the last chapter with, saying, Long, long ago, dragons flew the sky, but the hunters exterminated every last one of them. That's a story that I wrote 500 years ago. Um, the coordinator boss guy that was on the phone with Debonair in the last chapter, didn't bother learning his name, already forgotten it, points the gun at the mayor and goes, Freeze, who are you? How'd you get here? The person with the hood who is writing the book says, Don't bother, it'll be a waste of ammo. So ends gun phone guy's contribution to the story. Gun phono. He's still there. Yeah. Gun phono. Uh, the mayor says, It's been a while, legendary Red Hood. And the, <laughs> the legendary Red Hood says, well, well, if it isn't the ex-hunter and the second Red Hood. <laughs> Just get all these, all these buttons. These are all, these are all narratively important. Put them all in here. Hang on a second. Oh, I've got so many plot details. I gotta get out. <laughs> Nick, your Yu-Gi-Oh cards. They're messed up now. Oh, no. How am I going to do with all these? <laughs> Um, and on top of that, his name is Ludwig Geppetto, like Geppetto <gasps> from Pinocchio, because fellow is just a puppet. We haven't oh. gotten there yet. That comes oh, up later. Yes. He is a metaphorical <laughs> puppet, but maybe also a literal one. Ooh. <laughs> so, Velo. Fast on the uptake, Velo, who figured out the key to passing that test before with just a few minutes to plan, goes... Mayor, you used to be a hunter. That's what the guy just said. That is what they just said, Velo. Come on. Look, he has he has a lot going on. He's currently like us, the reader. He's just like, wait, what's happening? Hold on, what? <laughs> like every time a character talks, his world gets shattered all over again. Like the mayor comes, he's like, Mayor, what are you here? That's not the mayor. This is Ludwig Geppetto, the second Red Hood. Second Red Hood? What does that oh, mean? Second. There's two Dark Fire soldiers. Why? <laughs> so, uh. He's just confused. And he's like, who are you? Where are we? What happened? 
<laughs> just asking all the questions at once. And the legendary Red Hood says, This is the true book gifted to us by higher beings. It's the device we use to build the world. That which is written on its pages then happens. It is effectively a tome of inverted reality. This room is the book's Scrivener's room. Located on the cover sheet of existence, There is this is where the world is added to its pages. And there's the person who keeps rewriting stuff. Say hi to Mirai the robot. <laughs> I really wish the robot showed up here. I really thought he'd be great being like, you're dying, fellow. <laughs> you're all dying, but you have an opportunity to go out in a giant fire of fucking exposition. <laughs> the duty of the Hunter's Guild is to add scenes to the book and bring story to the world to which the mayor chimes in with the guild has penned countless stories of hope and also stories of despair what it does is unforgivable but it must be done and the legendary red hood says it's necessary to maintain the world and that is the only fucking actual explanation we get in this chapter <laughs> As to, but why? <laughs> so this is kind of the thing. You get this whole thing of like, the book writes, this, the story written here unfolds in the real world. Okay. So we have to have great and terrible things both happen. Okay. And they do, but people suffer. Okay, but why do you have to write those things? Because. 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 Yes. Because the world go boom if no. I guess. Period? Question mark? <laughs> so we cut back. So here's the thing about this chapter. Not, not content with one main character being dealt exposition. It's being given to two different characters. Cut back and forth simultaneously. Are they having two different sides of the story explained to them? No. It's just all the same thing. So... Debonair does not react well to Cinderella having intruded upon their base. But Nick! Yes. Don't you mean Cinderella? Asterix! Ray means ghost! It's <laughs> <laughs> a very narrow window of people who would appreciate that joke. <laughs> and you're one of them. I'm proud yeah. to call you my friend. Uh, you're Ferrain. Wait, uh, doesn't quite. Spell Never mind. We're moving on. We're moving on. Okay, so Debonair grabs Cinderella by the neck and says, "Tell me what's going on." And Cinderella says, "That's what I came to do. I told you this." <laughs> she says that they need to detain Velo immediately because he was built to destroy the guild. He's basically a walking bomb. The mayor, I mean, I like the re-exertion of like the mayor. No, heck, Horlock. Literally pages after we learned his name is actually Ludwig Geppetto. Like the fact that like yeah. we're trying to keep up with three different identities for this character. And that one seems like the one that's the most irrelevant to this point. <sighs> so... Uh, he, she says, he's a sorcerer who used to work for the guild and was really close to the book. He got sick of the stranglehold the guild has on the world and erased his name from the records and turned traitor. He swiped a handful of pages from the book 
and joined us on the list, taking up our cause of freedom from the guild. See, it's really just about freedom, personal freedom from the constraints of society that are keeping us from eating people. No. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Because you see, you see, the order of uh, is the evil ones the whole time. Yeah. Eh, okay. Could have seen that coming. It's literally just, but you destroyed villages and and ate people. <laughs> I'm having trouble Wait. with siding you on. Yeah. It, I feel like every story eventually has this. Where they're like, what if there was a secret society that made all the bad things happen? And it's like, I feel like unless you really want to get into, like, unless you're trying to specifically say that institutionalized fucking tragedies are actually a thing in modern society because oftentimes oppressing like the lower class is a way to continue the existence that makes the people in power more comfortable it's usually not though it's usually like evil assassins who run the world who kill everybody every so often or something like that it's like all right i mean i feel like that there is some interesting stuff going on it's just that the train of logic doesn't quite reach the station. You know, it's they're saying like, okay, these things are manipulated because people need stories. Okay. To and so you can tell me anything. Rising action rising action. And they're like, are you just gonna throw out literary yeah. terms towards us? <laughs> like allegory. Like, it really feels as if it's, like, right there. Because, like, Grimm's fairy tales, what do they do? They have hidden messages to teach people, you know, not to fear X thing or to or to do or to not do such thing because bad things happen. Don't put your okay. fingers in pies. Yeah, don't do these bad things. Do these good things. Trust these people and not these people, etc. There are, you know, morals to be gleamed from these Aesop's fable things. And that if you just say that, just tell me that in this explanation and I'll be like, OK, but because it's like we need it because the world will not go if no do, then it's, it's it strikes me as lazy. So anyway, the mayor, Geppetto, is a super strong sorcerer guy. And by merging his magic with the pages, he created a power capable of nullifying the book scenarios, effectively nullifying fate. And the red elite red hood says, I suppose you were the one who stole the pages then, which we've had told to us like twice before now. They're extremely perturbed by this, by, by which I mean, they say, this is quite the bother, you know, Okay. Okay. They say also that Grimm was an important candidate to become the next Red Hood. The mayor is like, you seem really awfully calm about this. Aren't you going to resist? The elite Red Hood says, well, now that you've reached this room, I doubt there's anything I could do. But first, hey, kid, you want to read this book? I'll show you what's in the truth of the world and its pages. Anyway, Debonair is still talking with Cinderella and she says you're seeing the sign that you spent the most time around him and see she didn't used to be that slow on the uptake because Grimm's going eh. oh no she's dumb now yeah me was main character hmm? what me important no big no chest have not important me ours 
There's a field around Velo. A magical field that nullifies the story threads around him. Okay. I mean, I've read fanfic too. There's a lot of characters like that. So, uh, but Cinderella says that if you spend enough time around Velo, you're freed from the story threads, the chains of fate written in the book for you. And working together, the mayor and the list created Velo using magic and the power of the pages. He's not a real boy. He's a living puppet. Okay. Oh, like Pistachio. Like Pistachio. That's yeah. Right. So, um, Debonair says... <laughs> Don't tell me you guys use magic to create life. I had to laugh. 13 saying Velo has the power of bimbofication. It really, it kind of does when it applies to Grimm exclusively. She just gets dumber around him. Uh, not going to comment on that. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll just let people Google it as they see fit. Anyway, so... Debonair objects to this explanation of who Velo is, saying, don't tell me you guys use magic to create life. That's taboo! And Cinderella says, yeah, what are you guys made up just cause? <laughs> okay. Thanks. <laughs> you know, create the creation of, of life artificially and all of the different things that that implies about, you know, existence and, you know, the capabilities of magic, the existence of souls and whatever, all the questions that that raises. Yeah, you guys made a taboo just because. <laughs> not saying it was wrong or right. It but... just, it shouldn't be as simple as like, you guys made a rule because you didn't want it to happen and no more ethical questions need to be answered or raised. Why does the story need to be written? Because. All right, so... It's like thinning soup, dripping water into the broth, one drop at a time, one after another. Little by little, his presence dilutes the influence of the guild's written scenarios. And we see that because Velo's been around, things have happened in the manga. <laughs> like, um, I guess, Bonkers town being destroyed because we see the giant that destroyed his town well bonkers being it, it, we specifically him being there probably is implied to be the reason bonkers breaks free of his conditioning to be this mercenary who just does it as a way to survive to being somebody who is ready to be a hero or something like that because the giant was the fault of the people writing the book that's kind of one of the examples they yes. give. You wrote a giant to destroy all of my family or, or destroy a bunch of these people in my town. Like, that's you're the monsters. And Velu, with his magic story erasing abilities, erased Bonkers being a nothing character, apparently, and gave him the conviction to find his own footing, which I guess is maybe the reason why we got his like he got his own chapter showcasing his narrative. Um, and then we got one for Mariopius because mushroom powers are cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm sure that there would have, if the series ran longer, been more of an explanation of like these people that Velo influenced in these different yeah. ways would have taken different paths. And some of them, when you just see them on this little splash page of things being diluted, makes sense. The old man that he met left. 
Why? Because Velo severed his fate. And so he no longer decided to, you know, follow that path and take revenge and stuff. I don't exactly know why the guild destroyed an entire town so that a guy would not join the guild repeatedly. All right. Because so, <laughs> it's a good story, Nick. It's fucking interesting. Uh-huh. That giant came in and smashed up the whole town. <laughs> We're uh, going to get sequels out of it. There's spinoffs. That's right. Cinderella goes on to say that if they allow Velo to join the guild as a hunter, he would erode their control from the inside. And then when the time was right, the list would swoop in and eliminate both him and the guild and everyone would live happily ever after. I mean, that was a plan anyway. And then... Um, this is the best. This is the best page turn ever. So we go to the next page, and the elite Red Hood has decided to show Velo the book, but because it is the the storybook of the world, it's a bedtime storybook. So they they, they get they get in bed and are tucked in up to the waist, and they're gonna read that way. And Velo <laughs> is just kind of like, why is this happening? Like, what what is going on? So, and phone gun guy has hot milk for them. It's just, it's such a weird, you're like, so much is happening. So like, again, just like last week, every page is suddenly like a new fucking conversation is happening and more details. And then you turn the page and this figure who I think is meant to be imposing because they're the one who is writing this evil book has just tucked themselves into bed with Velo. And you're just like, <laughs> and they're having hot milk delivered to them. And you're like, I'm sorry, what is happening right now? So then here, look at the first page. Oh, what's this strange writing the Velo can't read? It's the language of the readers. Yes, there's just Japanese on the book. K. And Velo says, the readers? Yes, these are the shadows of words projected from a different dimension. Ooh. Anyway, enough of that shit. <laughs> Cat girl's coming into the room. Hell yeah. Everyone's Cursa, favorite character. Cursa, that very well-defined character. <laughs> bursts in and says, hey, Debonair, Velo's gone. Why is Cinderella here? Debonair says, don't mind. So, Velo's gone, and she says how it happened, and Cinderella says, ah, it sounds like it was Geppetto's teleportation spell. You can't detect it without your own magic powers. And Debonair's like, oh, but where would he go? Oh, no. And then we cut back to the place that they went, because this entire scene was very necessary. Could have saved a page of time without this, but okay. The Elite Red Hood says that the book was first found in the caves under this island. When the first person viewed it, its discovery was already written in its pages. And the laws of nature, the concept of time, living creatures, and all the building blocks of the world were already there. And this is what was written next. Dragons, giants, demons, mermaids, witches, and werewolves. This page contains the concept designs for all of them. We work from those concepts to build stories, to build fate. Fairy tales, cautionary fables, heroic legends, monsters that eat humans, villages that are destroyed, the heroes who hunt and destroy monsters, and the people who are rescued from tragedy. Everything happens according to the scenarios we've written. Because? 
Oh, next week. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We can afford to wait. Yeah. What we got? We, what we got? Something going on? Is it like we're going to be here a while? A chapter or two, you say? Mm. Cinderella says Velo has the power to nullify the book scenarios. Grimm's memories haven't been erased. It's her character concept in the book that's been affected, eroded away from being near Velo for too long, thereby erasing her memories. Everyone in the hamlet <laughs> lived in fear of werewolves. There were even people who saw their whole family eaten, who then went and took their own lives because they wanted to go join their loved ones. Bonkers hometown was destroyed by giants, his entire life getting turned upside down. People are trying to become hunters so they Whatever can Portia's them. backstory was, and the it one big chick. Report, you guys, look, she had a locket and everything. We can't see what's on the locket, but she has one. I think that's my favorite part. People trying to become hunters. Whatever Portia's backstory was going to be. Hang on, let me zoom in really far and see if I can... It looks like uh, a baby baby. Wait, that's just her. Hang on. Maybe she's just very vain because that's weird. <laughs> she's like, I'm fucking awesome. <laughs> Clack. There's no one else in that picture because the light's shining on their face if they are. And Velo says, wait, you're telling me that all of that is nothing but one big setup by the guild? And the elite Red Hood says, correct. And Velo says, why? How can you do such a thing? And the elite Red Hood says, for the sake of the world. Oh, and Cinderella says, all the concepts that form the structure of our world are in the book. And what do you think will happen if Velo comes in direct contact with it? The mayor wants to destroy not just the book, but the whole world along with it. Oh, Vela will erase the book, which will erase reality. And no one's still telling him why things need to happen, which is the <laughs> one reason why he wouldn't destroy everything. Presumably, I guess. In theory. Maybe. Or, you know, he's just not a nihilist. You know, he doesn't strike me as that kind of kid, so... He didn't strike me as a kid with any defining personality traits, to be fair, so... Yes, I mean, that, that qualifies. Yeah. Uh, man, whew, what a chapter. Um, I'm a little surprised. Not because of this. Yeah, this makes sense. Uh, I'm surprised there are a lot of people who are taking this hard. Um, and there's some... Because I'm seeing, I guess more people now are starting to read all the stuff that comes out and jump, or at least the new stuff. And there's a lot of people who I see, like, secondhand through Twitter who are just like, I can't believe this is happening. And I really, I feel like that fucking meme of, like, I don't, I think it's maybe, like, James Franco with the noose around his neck and another person's like, first time? Like, it's one of those things, it's like, does this really, yeah. like... I was like, I don't know. I've been around the block uh, quite a few times with series I like ending. So, like, to me, I'm kind of just enjoying it because I I've mentioned before there's, like, three types of ways I think series generally ended. The third one is the one I love, and that is when a series just fucking goes out in a gigantic ball of fire. And that is 100% what this is. Fucking everything going on. Everything. Look, Yuki Kawaguchi clearly has some chops as a creator mm -hmm. i am sure that they will have a successful series in jump eventually it's not this one though yes um and it, i do think it actually is probably a good sign that you know people are much more aware of these series that 
have this kind of thing that at least draws you in a bit and then just is gone because there are so many cases of stories that like we as you know the manga reading community really didn't like hear about a lot of these until they had been gone for a while mm-hmm. like you know i got to like a series you know over a decade ago called lock on which uh, it, we ha- the two of us have different opinions on in terms of how good it was but i quite liked it and it was gone very very quickly and i didn't learn about it until months after it had been canceled yeah but because of the way that manga is available to us now yeah <laughs> the everyone who bothers to log onto viz.com or to uh uh manga freaking what's it called what's, manga what's the plus. Uh, manga plus uh will see these series as each chapter gets put up and then they'll just be gone with it <laughs> yeah so that's great uh, i think I... but yes we'll see much more cases of people being like oh why is that gone than we would have before so yeah i I will say to there because there's definitely people i know who enjoy this series and i'm not here to revel in that like i'm sorry that the series is ending like it sucks we know what it's like you know i really like neolation and it ended like it sucks when your series that you really like just goes and ends um i am as somebody who has to recap manga uh going to enjoy this kind of like closure because it's it's fucking off the wall and every page is something to talk about uh, but yeah, it really did surprise me when I saw like many people just being like, this is fucking, I can't believe this series looks like it's going to be ending. Like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like when a series ranks at the bottom for a really long time, usually it's gone. Like I just kind of accept it after a while. Yeah. People have all started talking about like, is, I mean, is there just like not a, still not a lot of influence that, you know, Western readership of these series gives to the decision makers at, uh, at Jun and jump over whether a series is get put in. Like, look, I'm sure that there are like metrics for the way that these kinds of things are measured will eventually be changed to accommodate for the new ways that people read manga. And if not for the, if not having changed already to some degree, in terms of taking a worldwide audience into account, that's going to be interesting to see over time. Maybe we'll see more cases of series like being put up like online. Uh, well, and transfer between that different services. So. And one other big thing too to really kind of stress: what else are you going to cancel and jump right now? Like jump is right now maybe the strongest it's been in recent memory. Like even the stuff that most people Very don't like. Memory. Yeah, well, but I but I mean, like, from top to bottom, there's very few series you're like, I guess this would could run for, like, a year, or maybe, like, there's a couple series that are, are certainly in that range of, like, I guess you could say that about, like, me and RoboCo, and uh, maybe High School Family, but those operate in a completely different range of genre than what uh, the Hunters Guild, like, I, I just don't think that there's something in this magazine right now that's in a direct competition line per se with the hunters guild that you're like oh we just got to get rid of that like right now like narrow is gonna end soon pppppp is almost certainly going to end once it starts ranking like there's stuff like nothing's really a, a colossal failure right now or anything like that so when i look at the hunters guild i have to say like is there something i would rather it be in the magazine instead of and i really like i just can't see it like there's nothing else that's really that bad. So I don't know. 
This is also, I think, another uh, consequence of us having so many very young series in Shonen Jump right now, because there are there is a very, very uh, there's a dearth of series that are like in their prime or getting into their prime, as opposed to a bunch of series that you could point to and say, I could see that winding down relatively soon, like within the next year. Um, I think that out of the young series that are in Jump, I would guess that like the one that's closest to naturally winding down would be Mashal. And I don't expect that to for a good while at this point. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Stone, I think potentially could be like within the next year or so, but that's, that's an older series. That's a veteran series technically at this point. Yeah. Um, It's, it's the magazine is in a very unusual state in terms of its lineup. Uh, then people are probably used to in terms of like, oh, yeah, there was a series that's been running for 10 years and a series has been running for seven years. And there's all these things. And it's like, yeah, everything, almost everything is from 2019 or later. Yeah. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> so, <laughs> OK, that's a lot of talk about not Red Hood, basically. So let's uh, let's move on to Magachan. Don't worry, dist- we can make it up by not talking about this chapter very long. Muscar and the ceiling bracelet. Muscar, poor little moo. He's been drinking that veggie tea stuff and that's just kind of it no wonder he's still tiny he's gonna starve and die uh he's angry at ruru needs that ceiling gem and her bracelet that unaris gave her that she still wears around all the time spies on her tries to see if he can get it uh she washes her hands uh before making dinner and magu says i shall decimate all germs good attitude he's gonna live to be 175,000 years old uh so, uh, Ruru washes her hands, keeps the bracelet on even while doing so, and then she goes to Magu and is like, your turn, Magu-chan. He starts eating the soap. I mean, it's one way to get clean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Um, of course, uh, he's just like, it's it's oil and fat. I mean, what, what did you want me to do? Like, yeah, good point, good point. Um, and then when she rinses his mouth out, he says, my body gives rise to bubbles. Yes, it does. There are those lines that exist that you're like, oh, this is this is to like screen cap later on out of context for people. Uh, so she's going to get cleaned up and she says, OK, uh, I'm going to be frying with oil, so I should get changed because oil can stay in my uniform. And she also takes the bracelet off and then she kind of like does the thing where she's like, no peeking, Magu-chan. Uh, Magu says, very well, I shall not spare you so much as a glance. Yep. Good for you, Magu. Yeah, he's a noble person. Good. Yeah. It's like, why? Why? Yeah, don't take it so seriously. No, no, that's a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Respect people's privacy. So, Muscar takes this as a chance to use his adjustment of fate and open a door. Okay. That's all I could do now. He's very weak. uh, But Magu has the bracelet currently, so Mu can't just grab it. And he puts it on his head and then pulls it down his neck and makes his squishy head stretch upward. And then just says, splendid, because he's very pleased with himself because he is a five-year-old. So Ruru afterwards is just like, what are you doing? And he says, behold, my long and lean figure. Yep. Okay. Just, Just give him some attention. That's all he needs. Just give him. Uh, Muscar almost gets spotted. He hides. Uh, 
And uh, Ruru puts the bracelet back on. Oh, no, the opportunity is lost. It's cooking time. Magu helps out and acts as an egg beater, basically. He takes, like, a whisk and then, like, power winds his body up in order to stir it. It makes a mess, of course. Um, Lord Mus- Muscar is very upset about this because, oh, God of Destruction is cooking and stuff. Batter also has gone everywhere. And Ruru's like, oh, man, I'm such a mess. Uh, and Muscar is like, wait a minute. This gives me another chance to steal away the bracelet without her noticing with my power over fate. Uh, they make some uh, some food, including these uh, fried donut things. I forget exactly what they're called. Um, uh, jelly donuts. Yes, they're jelly <laughs> donuts. Uh, because of the soap that Magu spat out everywhere, there is a slicky bit on the floor. And so Muscar uses his adjustment of fate when he slips to send the Natu's carrying flying and it hits Ruru right in the side of her head, which makes her upset. And she's like, ah, oh, my clothes, my hair. I'm going to go shower. So she takes the bracelet off again, goes to get cleaned up, gets in the shower. And that just leaves Magmanuku observing the bracelet while eating his Natu. I was going to say, I like that he just sits on the floor and he just starts fucking devouring the fucking Natu. I was like, all right, you know what? Good for you, bud. <laughs> Live your life. Ah, uh, Muscar uses his powers to cause a blackout. And then, ah, uh, in the dark, he can sense the location of it. And so he he sees the outline of the object, grabs the bracelet, and leaves. He gets outside. Uh, it's one of the donut things that Magu made. And uh, didn't get anything. And then Magu comes out with, on Ruru's head, and he's acting as a flashlight. And Ruru, of course, gets really pissed off at Muscar and calls him a pervert. Um, but... She doesn't shame him for that. She instead shames him for stealing other people's donuts, which is nice because she actually punished him for the crime he committed, mm-hmm. not the uh, much worse one. Um, so Muscar is upset about this, and Ruru says, because Muscar explains himself, and then says, oh, so you want the bracelet I received from my birthday. You should have just asked for it. Here you go. Just gives it to him. Yeah, do like, I like, here you go. Just take it. Um, and she says, that's okay, right, Magu-chan? And Magu says, it is your personal possession. Do with it as you please. Yeah, Magu gets it. So Muscar is like, if you don't underestimate me, you don't pity me. And Ryu just says, hey, you know, you're trying to do all that stuff with Magu, and I'm just going to let him decide how he feels about that. It's not like I own him or anything. And Muscar is like, uh, uh, um, um. But Magu, before he can really think about this, says, even without siding with you, I will unravel the lowly humans and take over the world. Still hasn't forgotten, despite how, uh, you know, pet-like he is mm-hmm. a lot of times. So, so Muscar goes home, uh, meets with his followers and the Morphalac, not the, the false Magu, who immediately uses its eye beam to destroy the ceiling gem. And nothing happens. Except something happens. <gasps> Oneris makes a last page appearance in the chat. And look, I'm not saying Oneris ruins everything, but I would say that the worst, the last page is the worst page of the whole chapter. I mean, there's not really any jokes on it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, she says, yeah, uh, c- clearly one of you idiots tried to break the seal, but too bad. Uh, even if you break the bracelet, you can't break the seal. 
And uh, I actually switched out the jewel in the bracelet a long time ago. So just enjoy being uh, all week like that. Bye-bye. And that's it. They got really mad at her because, uh, you know, she's an heiress and she's a troll like that. Um, there, that is just, it's a Maga Chen <laughs> chapter. It's okay. Yeah. That's a good way it's to describe okay. it. It is okay. A lot of really fun worded lines from Magu. And there's a, you know, a really nice, you know, bluntly kind moment from Ruru that Muscar, again, refuses to take at face value. So, yeah. Let's go ahead, then. To Dr. Stone, chapter 215. Oh, Zeke wait, hold on, wait. Go, go back. Uh, what was the series we just finished recapping? Uh, Magu Chang got destruction. But Nick, don't you mean Magbu? Okay, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Stones equals 215. Long, long road. Uh, so everyone's staying their sights on space and stuff. And in order to do that, they need a satellite. Senku brings up the point that even if you use a telescope when stargazing, stuff gets in the way, like clouds and city lights and stuff. So the only way to actually see stuff clearly is to use satellites because it gets out of the atmosphere and all that distortion and stuff like that. And that's how they're going to spy on the moon so that they can figure out where Y-Man is by launching a satellite. Um, we also get a, a couple of different brief explanations of how satellites work, which is you launch them up into the air. They don't actually fly. They're just constantly slingshotting around in orbit with uh, their own, you know, gravity uh, trajectory. Um and as a result, it doesn't need a fuel source, which means that they can get it out there a bit more quickly. Uh, also, they need solar cells, which... So this was a bit that occurred to me while they were doing this, because uh, they've got... They, they can make solar cells, which they say, Kohaku and crew dug up this sweet ingredient in Kagoshima, selenium. It comes in handy once again in order to make solar cells. To which I say... Would solar cells break down over thousands of years, or could you have scavenged them? I'm not a science person. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that just kind of occurs to me. I know it kind of gets away from the, you know, this is how you make everything kind of thing. But I don't know. At, at a certain point, I feel like if there were a relic from past society, I know that a lot of stuff does just decay it le even a small amount, and so over thousands of years, it would no longer be useful. But I have to imagine that certain things would not. And it would be interesting if they just eventually were just like, yeah, this is just here, and we could just take it. <laughs> Sweet. So they can make solar panels anyway. They, they, they do it in one page. Uh, so there you go. Bah, done. So now it has a battery that can just, you know, operate off of the sun when it's in space. Uh, and then they say, then they are like, okay, now we have a launch site ready. Cool. And now we've got a rocket. Cool. Let's, and now we've got a rocket engine because Zeno is here to, to deliver it. And he and Senku look at each other. And Zeno says, that is an elegant craft. And hey, look at that big ass rocket they made. And Senku says, right back at you, Zeno. And they're like, this is it. We're going to launch into space. And everyone's really excited. And Minami says, with NASA's Dr. Zeno, the world's preeminent rocket scientist, and Senku, the only high schooler to launch a homemade rocket into space for the world's ultimate master pupil dream team, getting an unmanned rocket up into space is going to be a walk in the park. And immediately the first rocket attempt just goes spinning into the, into the sea. So they uh, have to dive into the bay and 
pull it back out, Zeno and Seku examine the damage, and and realize, ah, the thermal installation was corroded by gas. So uh, we got to do some more uh, work on this. The next attempt, months later, explodes. That didn't work. So they keep on fixing things. <laughs> Trajectory is bad. Stuff explodes. They eventually get one to launch up into space, and we just get this two-page spread of the rocket exploding in midair, which uh, calls to mind some very horrible things that have happened uh -huh. in certain space programs past. Uh, but months and years, I guess, pass. We don't get any clear indication of how long has passed. We know that at least months have passed because we saw like a counter page turning. And that was between just the first and second attempt. But they also know. don't see how many attempts there have been. We also note that uh, earlier in the pan uh, earlier in a chapter, maybe it was last chapter. I can't remember that. It took like three years for Zeno to make the engine that they have. And if the engine keeps breaking, like I understand maybe you streamline things or something like that at some point, but like, mm -hmm. Eventually, you're just going to have to keep making that fucking engine over and over again. Like, presumably, years and years are passing, but none of the characters are aged up at all or anything like that. So, like, I, I don't know. This is like a really weird fucking chapter because fucking a lot of time feels like it should be passing. And the characters don't look different in the slightest. And no one seems to really be addressing that a lot of time is passing. No. It is very odd. The note that we leave on is just Yo just kind of slumped back, exhausted after all these failed attempts. And he's like, oh, my God. And it's just they just keep on going back to square one over and over. And he looks at Senku and Zeno in the lab and they're just excitedly still working on their next attempt. And then we cut over to where Suika and Chrome are still planning to try and get that retrieval rocket ready. So this is kind of good for them because it leaves them more time to make this retrieval attempt because the first attempt's not going well. But yeah, it is really weird that for characters that are so young, because, you know, a, a majority of the important cast in this series is teenagers or was teenagers at the start and would be, I guess, at the start of this chapter in like their early 20s. Yeah, they'd be like young adults at this point. Um, they just look the same. So. <laughs> like, it's it's one of those things, too. Like, I guess the notion here is time is passing, but for the intents of this series, we are not going to address that. The characters are going to look the same. Time is passing, but not in a relevant way. Which is a very strange way to do it because there are characters and relationships that apparently are just on a standstill from years. Like Taiju, Taiju like, they're eventually going to get that confession out there. But right now, they have to keep making those fucking circles or whatever. I will stand up and applaud if literally the next chapter, like The Rock is ready to go. And we just see Taiju and Yuzuriha with their three kids. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they should, man. They should just have something like that. Because, like, I do like it in, on one level because this is a way to explain that that Chrome and uh, Kuika? Suika. Suika, sorry. I was like, that's not right. Kuika's not a name. Uh, Chrome and Suika 
are trying to catch up with Senku, and they're not just going to be able to do it in like a weekend. They're not going to be able to just figure it out. Like time is passing, and that gives them time to really study and learn and become educated. And I think that's good. But like, it comes at the cost of being like, does does no one else change in that period of time? Like, are we still waiting for like certain characters to like interact and do things? Is Yo's hair ever going to grow out anymore, or is it just permanently <laughs> spiked and crushed now? Like, yeah, um, I, it would be interesting if they do do something where they say that is there is there still a spy? <laughs> like. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of the people in class 1A. Hey, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I want every manga to have a secret spy arc now that never gets followed up on. <laughs> like, every one of them have that subplot. Maybe they'll eventually address it by just saying that after you're petrified once, then it just, like, affects you forever. But I don't well, know. You could you could still justify, like, okay, maybe in the time in between when they're building these rockets, they freeze certain characters when they're not necessary to keep them at a young age or something like that. Presumably, it's what they're going to have to do with Kaseki, because if years are passing, that dude was, like, on death's door before, and they've established, like, immortality can kind of keep him alive or whatever. But, like, again, it feels like some characters should say something to that effect, I, I, I would think. Yeah. It is not just a matter of aging. It is, as you pointed out, over the course of years, people's relationships change and we're freezing not just the people, but the way that those relationships are built and developed over time. So, yeah, it, it's 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 weird. I don't I'm not saying it's bad, but it's weird. And it really stands out. It's it feel, the one thing about this chapter that stood out to me. It feels so. like we've entered the World Cup arc of uh, Dr. Stone, where I'm like, this is this is OK. This is. It's gonna. It's weird. It's a weird, weird thing. I don't even know why we had the the secondary, the backups introduced if they were just gonna play like half of one game and then never again. But you know what? This is still. I bet when we see Mister Don in his full glory, everyone, it's all gonna turn around, and I'm gonna enjoy this. What we didn't see in that part where they stopped in Indonesia to pick up ingredients was that there is another person there who can run a four point two second fit in forty meters. <laughs> God, I don't know how I can make a top ten for it, but I want to take a top, make a top ten to just explain how annoying it is that they make one random German guy who can run a four two as well, and you're like, holy fuck, there's four fucking characters in this world who can do it, and one of them's just a dude we met. <laughs> oh, all, all right, right, Nick, let's move Mashal. on. Mashal magic and muscles chapter 88 or 83 rather mash burned it and the shadow eater uh so we open up at grief manor where the exam well, is about before to we open up we get a really really cool cover page yep. i, I want to draw attention to so. yep with mash and rose quartz uh so we open up at grief manor and uh Rose Quartz starts saying this is going to be one so one-sided, and I hate being a bully, so I'll have to go easy on you. And Mash whispers something to Dot, who immediately is like, turns to Rose Quartz and says, it's pretty clear you don't have any friends. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Why do you even bother whispering it? <laughs> Dot, were you supposed to say that out loud? Um. So the announcer goes over the rules. It says there is a chest with five star-shaped keys scattered throughout the mansion. You have to use these keys to unlock the chest and whoever opens it and claims the wand inside will be this year's divine visionary and mash sits there and he's like i think i figured this out we need to get the keys to open that box and dot dot is like yep that's what they said (laughs) 
<laughs> but then the it's voice such a simple joke. Yeah. But it's <laughs> I think I know what you said. That calm seriousness that MASH is always doing. Yeah. And then the announcer continues, but the mansion is also cursed. You have to be careful. So uh they everyone starts to test and immediately the halls and everything start moving. The may the mansion is a maze, basically, and they see a star and and, and <laughs> dots and uh oh gosh i forgot mash his... yeah but, oh uh, well the... dot and abyss and, and the puppet are still doing the <laughs> they fucking... really still do the cavalier thing again but then they just fall like they trip and fall <laughs> mash and dot just scrape against the ground face first they see a star and they're like cool we'll go get it and the star like the hallway moves the star goes into a different room and they follow after it and there's a room that is obscenely bright and a face appears on the wall that says i am the master of this room room aster <laughs> <laughs> time to face my trial and it vomits out a monster and everyone starts reacting who's watching this we see finn say that's a shadow eater something so dangerous is here and uh rain is watching on say this is way beyond the trial they gave us last year the bureau's chief's son must have something to do with this we cut over to rose quartz who's like yes I had the Bureau prepare a more difficult task on their side. I don't like taking advantage of my scummy dad's powers, but I'll do anything to win. And uh, I can only presume that is a lie he tells himself, because he absolutely seems like somebody who would want to take advantage of his dad's shitty powers. Uh, so he just laughs. Your droop is going to lose before you even get to us. And Room Master explains, who am I? A prisoner. I was transformed into this state as part of my punishment, but I'll finally gain my freedom once I beat them. And basically is like, let me explain how a, de a shadow eater works. So he makes a rabbit and the rabbit immediately has a shadow eaten by the shadow eater. And after its shadow has been eaten, it shrivels up into a husk. And then Finn sits there and explains, if it eats its shadow, you're done for. It steals your soul. It's a creature against which there is no defense. And in this bright room, there's nowhere to hide your shadow. There's no way to win. So Room Master says, now, Shadow Eater, take their hmm? And Mash has flattened himself to the ground. <laughs> and he's like, you, you erased your shadow by laying on the floor. But you can't move while you're laying dead. And Mash starts zigzagging across. The it's actually interesting because it is a follow-up to last chapter where they explain yeah. Mash learned how to crawl and zigzag. And <laughs> Room Master's like, well, that's crazy. But the monster is floating. So from this position, you can't even. And Mash breaks his neck to twist up and sucks, breathes in to suck the monster down to his level where he immediately twists him into a cross guard and puts him in a triangle choke. Well, and, you know, this is this is how you get the Undertaker to tap out, remember? <laughs> and <laughs> it's so fucking funny, the sequence. I don't, because it's so dumb. And immediately, Remaster's like, oh no, it's all over. The chokehold's being performed perfectly. What brutality. All we can do is watch as it goes down for the count. And Mash beats the Shadow Eater, and Finn's like, hold on, How, I, I'm going to be calm as I ponder this, but what's good's a triangle choke in the magic world? Look, even Kane tapped out to Kurt Angle, okay? Yeah. Hey, the hell- It doesn't fucking matter how many demon powers you have, once you're in that hold, there is no escape. I love that, like, Undertaker is such, like, he's a very eclectic figure, 
Like, I am this demon wizard of zombie monster, basically. And I have my finishers. The last ride, where it's a big power bomb using my colossal height. Or the tombstone pile driver, one of the most devastating moves in sports entertainment. Or the move where I stand up on the turnbuckle with your arm, and I walk halfway across and then elbow you. And of course, my most fiendish ending of them all. The Hell's Gate submission move where I hit you in a I'm triangle. Really garbage. St- I'm a go <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we get a nice little joke that a room master smiling and then immediately gained a much different face and be like, what just happened? And uh Mash and Dot get the star. The rest of their group shows up. We cut over to the other members of the other the evil school, and they're like, cool, we already have a third star. We don't even need to trip them up. And uh, we see Rose Quartz saying, I never go easy on my opponents, no matter how weak they are. Uh, and Crazy Eye Guy goes, yeah, ha, 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 that's all about winning for you. And Rose Quartz says, you laugh. Uh, you're, you're, the way you laugh is so vulgar. And I almost expected a One Piece style laugh of like, boobs, 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 like to explain why it's so <laughs> vulgar. Uh, but da, uh, Rose Quartz thinks, it's true. I fixed this race. It's not about ability anymore. Not that they do you a challenge anyway. But suddenly there's a bunch of sound, and we see a bunch of marionette legs moving, and members of the evil school are like, it's headed our way. And Rose Quartz says, impossible. I made sure to set powerful challenges in the way. This manor is built like a maze. You'd have to bypass innumerable walls. Unless, and we see what's happening, is using a giant doll summoned by Lord Abel and using Abyss Razor's speed and Margaret's sound to amplify their speed. They are holding Mash in front of them as a battering ram and just charging straight through the manor. Yeah, that's Dot, that's Dot's uh, contribution to it, is he's, he's holding Mash's yeah. head <laughs> And uh, Mash just notes, I realize it'd be easier to get the stars after beating the snot out of you. I'll try to go easy on you too. And we end the chapter of Rose Court saying, well then, I guess you're not so weak after all. So it looks I like think, we're going to just cut straight to fights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got, got a little tired of that premise immediately. Yeah. Uh, I really love the group shot at the end of this chapter. It's so weird. And, you know, like everyone is looking cool. And then there's Mash, who's just, you know, his head's the battery. <laughs> uh, yeah, this reminds me of that. Uh, I don't know if you've seen like the Disney Halloween thing where like Mickey tries to tell a scary story and like Goofy and Donald are chipping in with, with different things. So like Mickey tries to tell the story of this, like there's this huge impenetrable labyrinth that people go mad walking through and then Donald's in the story and he just takes a baseball bat and runs through the walls. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Lots of good. All right. Good stuff. Yes. Let's move on to the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 37, Reform 1334. So we open this chapter in a citizen's court where a bunch of different people are raising objections uh, before uh, this. uh, Oh, God, I forget who even this is, but uh, they're raising it before these different governors saying like, hey, you said that this land belongs to us, but there are warriors who are occupying it. Where are we supposed to go? Where are we supposed to live? 
And uh, we basically just get this brief explanation that says that the emperor's political reforms, known as the Kenmu Restoration, began to fall apart in less than a year. The emperor's favored noble and feudal houses received lavish rewards, but he treated most warriors coldly or neglected them entirely. Out-of-touch policies sowed disorder, and the people's hopes turned to despair. Uh, then we cut over to one of the stewards that we were uh, introduced to recently, Moronau, and uh, he's talking with his younger brother and several other people about stuff. And they're saying like, yeah, the citizens' court is in shambles. There's no, there's no, no one's obeying the rulings. It's too complex. Why don't we just like punish people? Like only force will ensure that people comply with us. Uh, and but people are you know talking about like hey you know they're saying that the Mikado want to raise taxes so that they can make a new palace, uh, and Morinow is kind of disgusted with this. Uh, uh, you know, there's different followers are saying like hey they say they'll pay off what they can't collect in taxes with paper money. You know, like in China, uh, it's not going to happen here, not for hundreds of years. Which I don't know enough about the currency history of Japan to know yeah. whether that's accurate or not. But um. Uh, Moronau says that the Mikado's reforms are inefficient and unrealistic, whereas the Ashikaga must adopt the strengths of both they and the Kamakura Shogunate, which was realistic, but couldn't adapt to the times. So that's what they are trying to do. And he says, if we supplement the all the stuff that what Tadayoshi is learning at Kamakura with the experience and knowledge we gain from governing Kyo we will establish a new rule for a new era. And they all toast to Takauji uh, with this plan. Then we see that um, the emperor is also good at fighting a bunch of people, mm. I guess. It's, he's punching out a bunch of people. Uh, and there's also, or this might be the prince, but it's kind of hard to I, it's kind of hard to tell exactly who it is on the first panel he appears, but I believe it's the prince who was really pissed off at Takaoji before. Uh, he, of course, is still objecting to everything uh, that is going on with Takaoji being in charge, and uh, he it gets arrested on a false charge of rebellion by the Mikado after the entire swarm of Mikado just bum rushes him. And then uh, Takaoji meets with him afterward, and he's just, you know, clearly like in minimum security. Because, you know, it's a political prisoner thing. Mm. He's talking to Takaoji on the outside of the cell. And he says, I hear that I am bound for a cell in Kamakura. And in your younger brother's hands, everything is going according to what you want. And he says, you know, there is a way after, after rebellion where you can ensure the success of all the reforms you want to do. Which is to be the second reformer. Essentially, the first reformer comes in and destroys the old order, which causes a whole bunch of anger and invites a coup. And that satisfies the people who are upset with the way things have changed. And then when that old world is in ruins, another order comes in, another reformer. And then they celebrate that person who comes in and fixes everything after everything else has been torn down by the first person. So... You could you toppled the shogunate during your rebellion. You could have taken over at that point completely. Instead, you handed everything over to the first reformer because you want to be the second. Am I wrong? And we've when 
Takaoji first hears this, his eyes are hidden by the bars of the cell. But then he leans in, and um, he has a lot more eyes than he did before, and a lot more mouths and hands and mm. other gross things. Yeah, this he uh, he he basically becomes a Majin Tante uh, Nagami Nero character at this point. <laughs> Same person who wrote this series, huh? Yeah. And he just says, as he leans in to where the prince can see him, I want it all. There is a greedy demon inside me, and that is what it cries out for. But not worry. When the world is peaceful, it is sated and calm. My loyalty is not false. As long as there is no great disturbance, I will remain the Mikado's faithful subject. But only as long as there is no great disturbance. And of course, these both they both understand, like, yeah, there's going to be. You are absolutely planning for this to happen. And as he walks away, the prince sees another eye, another bunch of eyes growing on his back and all looking at him. And he thinks to himself that his eyes hold conviction. But if great disturbance occurs in any place or time during the Mikado's rule, then his demon will fully reveal itself. Ooh. Anyway, over to where the main characters are. Yeah. Uh, Yorishige and Tokyuki see that a whole bunch of men are sparring really brutally with each other in the mountains and uh, Tokyuki's like what's going on and Yorishige just says do you recognize any of them and Tokyuki says I don't think I've seen any of them before at the shrine and Yorishige explains they are all survivors of Hojo retainers see whenever one of them arrives I sneak them into Shinano and shelter them and we surpassed 100 men the other day and all these warriors are going to serve under your direct command in the great conflict to come i haven't told you or haven't told them that you are still alive yet and none of them recognize your face but if you were to reveal yourself when we actually at the crucial moment when we rise up then they'll get a huge morale boost so tokiyuki you know is like oh this is a good plan you know i i i, I never really under, really actually realize all the stuff that he's preparing when I'm not watching because I'm so busy with my other stuff. And then Yorishige introduces Tokyuki to uh, some uh, important guys, I guess, uh, who are directly loyal to him. They are the three great generals of the Sua sect. Uh, I am very interested in guy with hawk on his shoulder. That's about it. So, hawk guy, you could say. Yes. Also the guy who just carries a rock around. <laughs> That's his fucking style, man. He loves that rock. Yeah. Uh, Tokyuki has no idea what the hell you're but talking about. Don't you mean Takbuyoki? I mean, there were so many different ways you could have gone with that. And yet, I went so with that ways. one. Yeah, you did. <sighs> but Yorishige says that the Kakushi, that incompetent leader that we met before, is preparing a large-scale invasion. I have reports of suspicious movements, and we will aid your allies across the land as we fill in your ranks for the big fight. So presumably there's going to be another big group battle thing. But, uh, you know, with this guy who's really bad at directing stuff, as opposed to, you know, the guys that we've gotten to know more recently who are actually good at their jobs and are, you know, more important foes for Tokyuki to have to overcome in the future. So, yeah. Good stuff. All right. Let's move on to Black Clover, page 310, unyielding right and wrong. Something wrong with your water? Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. It'll be fine. 
Okay. Did you swallow poison? Because if it's poison, we gotta stop the shit. Okay. Uh, no, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep going when I die. It's okay. okay. <laughs> Prop you up on strings every so often. I'll shake you like, hey, Nick, what do you think about this chapter? <laughs> I agree. I'm a zombie in this scenario. Yeah, you've become a zombie, I think, at this point. Okay. Just, uh, just wanted to get, know what I'm getting into. So, um, we we open with a, a big fight going on. Boom, star magic, boom, bone magic, making a demon bone sword. It's very exciting and lots of action. <laughs> boom, all the stars have been shattered. We just got, like, I, I can't really explain the action. Just stuff happens. And we get a little bit more of a flashback from Xenon. Of his older brother saying, the weak die easily. It's impossible to protect them all. And the cat, in that case, we'll destroy them temporarily. Then we'll regenerate them, this time with undying bodies. With the devil's power, we four, those old gratis siblings, can make our magic, can use our magic to remake humanity. Fortunate citizens who never have to fear death, let us create a truly peaceful spade kingdom. So... We, we cut back, and that's that's what Xenon's thought is. He's like, yes, it's all for the prosperity of the Spade Kingdom. And I was actually, I actually had noble intentions this whole time, by the way. Well, we did see earlier that he's he's got a twisted idea of it. I mean, his th- like his older brother's idea is let's kill everybody and make them into demons, and that'll be a good thing. So, uh, Yuno says, time for my super special awesome attack. And he does it, and it kind of gets blocked. So it doesn't really work. And Xenon's like, ha, all of his stars are gone. He can't teleport or defend. He has no way to destroy the evil devil's heart. This time, it's over. And we cut over to the next page, where Yuno acts as a state stage. It's attained when the residents between his spirit and its host come very close to 100%. By staying in a fight that kept him on the brink of death, Yuno obtained the power to destroy a devil. In the face of overwhelming power, everything is pointless. Slash. Win. No. Then we cut over to something a narrator or something says the stronger the mage the more stars are born conjunction more stars are made i'm not sure how there's a flashback of you know saying you mean and at the same time we see the various different members of the golden dawn who have kind of gotten him to this point shown so i guess they made the stars or something saint stage strike boom and it looks like he's killed xenon yeah, the way that things uh, are laid out uh, with like overlapping text does make it a bit confusing just because literally the end of a sentence appears in the midst of a single word that is unrelated to that sentence. Yeah. Like in the same font. So you're you would assume that it's the same person speaking like I could understand why somebody wouldn't be confused with like the explanation of Saint Stage and Xenon's thing because Xenon's text is completely different, but this is the same font. Uh, uh, I, it's really just the way that the manga itself lays it out. I it's odd, and I know it's very much style uh, over readability in this moment. It's all like in the name of like just yeah, just because it looks cool and stuff. But this was honestly a, a letdown in terms of like the level of the action and how impactful it feels compared to the previous chapter when it was, you know, legit pretty cool to see the way that, you know, stuff was working, his new set of powers. And there's a bit too much going on to really see the and appreciate the individual qualities that are happening. Also, I find the blur over uh, the fourth sibling's face 
in a flashback for the point of view of one of the siblings to be very amusing. <laughs> well, there's a reason for that. Some people have theories, Nick. Uh, could it be Cody Rhodes in disguise? <laughs> it could be. Maybe. Uh, no. Well, some people are theorizing it's it's Julius Novacronos or whatever, because I guess somebody noted like, hey, isn't it like he might not have. I forget how the theory comes about, but the, there was a point where somebody said something about his magic being odd and it not making a ton of sense. And it might be because he's he's he gets some of his magic from a devil or something like that. Other people are saying maybe he's not even real or things like that. I don't know. I'm just going to let whatever the reveal happens. Maybe happens. the devil implanted the memories of another sibling in their minds to make it them all thinking this was a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Oh, all right. So, yeah, there's going to be another thing beyond even after uh, even this, because, I mean, obviously, Asta didn't beat the final boss. So, you know, <laughs> you got to have another one out beyond this. So, uh, all right. Um, yeah. Let's move on to finish up with... Setting sail for One Piece, Chapter 1029, The Tower. Um, Hi, Bonnie. It's been a while since you showed up. <laughs> Don't worry. She'll be relevant any day now. She's here, guys. You know, the only female member of the Supernovas. You know. Yeah. yeah well, hey, is. at least this. We could say at the end of this chapter, she is certainly not the lamest member of the That's Supernovas. <laughs> I, okay, so we start this uh, chapter off in one battle, and then we switch gears completely to focus on another. But to begin with, last time uh, Sanji's latent Vinsmoke genetically enhanced abilities were starting to kick in, as fully demonstrated by Queen trying to cut through the back of his neck with a giant sword, and the sword shattering on impact and dealing no harm to Sanji. Except that he went, ow. So that's happened. Everyone is in shock. Queen observes, wait a minute. I didn't know you. I know you didn't use any hockey. But I remember what Judge said once. I can give the human body an exoskeleton. I can give it abnormal regeneration. I can give it great physical strength. And most of all, an unfeeling heart of ice. I have lasers now. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Chopper is also shocked by this and Sanji's just he's just scared yeah. by what this means, which is is, is nice. You know, he, he has been literally running away from trying to become this for a lot of his life and he's just thinking like, I don't want to turn out like my brothers who are all assholes uh, who have, you know, these hearts of ice who are un- cold and unfeeling. And so he just starts running away from Queen and more importantly, you know, running away from being confronted with the fact that his body is turning into this inhuman weapon. Uh, And he's just like, just just give me some time to think about this. I don't know why. So uh, like the shot of uh, Chopper Grandpa Uh, being held. He's left to think. Sorry, uh, the shot of Chopper Grandpa being held. I don't remember who's holding them, but it appears to be a woman who is wearing no clothes. Like I, from the way you see her, I don't know what is currently going on, but it looks like she has a head, and then there's just a torso with nothing on it. She's one of the minks, I believe. So is she? Maybe. I have no idea. Is is it Wander? 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 <laughs> Wanda? No, no. No, no, she was outside with Carrot. Remember? 
Remember what she was doing, Chris? Remember? Remember who, what, who's remember? who's Carrot Neck? <laughs> Is she an important character? Oh man. Remember when that awesome character popularity poll came out earlier this year and it was like, ah, oh, is it number eight blank? <laughs> <laughs> number eight, your your tepid hopes and dreams. Man, this also, also Hancock's still here, you horny fucks. <laughs> yeah. This this is a rough year for Boulder, man. Uh you know, Red Hood's going down and Carrot is never going to be a straw hat. It is <laughs> it is a rough time. <laughs> um random yahoos see Sanji running and they're like, let's shoot him. And the bullets just bounce off the back of Sanji's head. He's like, fuck off! Don't that hurt, guys! <laughs> and they're freaked out by this. And Queen is just chasing after Sanji, demanding that he put his battle suit back on. He's like, I'm gonna, you know, fight against the germ of science. So. Uh, meanwhile, on the next floor up, uh, Big Mom's uh, not taking it easy on Kid, who is not doing so well right now. He has apparently just collapsed seemingly after taking no damage. Uh, no one really knows what's going on. And Law is just like, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he jumps up to, or doesn't jump up. I believe he just teleports up uh, to Big Mom's head and does his counter shock thing to stun her. Uh, that doesn't turn out well for him because uh, he just gets uh, Prometheus in the face and set on fire. And uh, then Kid is still trying to recover. <laughs> Big Mom does a spin attack. <laughs> and smashes him with Napoleon. Uh, but Kid's still not out. But he's he's honestly like seemingly has been taking more damage from everything else. But uh, Mom hitting him. But he's just like, what the hell? Why do I have this? What's this headache I've got? I finally reached the four emperors. If I die now. What was the point of my entire pirating career? Uh, Big Mom laughs at him and she says, it looks like you might die all on your own and I don't have to do a thing. We cut to the next floor up where, of course, Killer is fighting with Hawkins, who is, of course, responsible for all the damage happening to Kid. How is all this happening to Kid? He's beating his head against the wall <laughs> over and over and over again. Well, Killer can't do anything because he can't, you know, physically hurt him. So he's just leaning back and be like, stop it. But also he's under the effects of the smile fruit. So he's laughing while he begs for his friend to be spared. Uh, and Basil's like, I can't believe you ate a smile fruit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, a bunch of other pirates are like, hey, killer, why can't we? Why can't we help? But killer just tells them all to shut up and stay foot. And they were like, but why, why don't you fight him? Look, I, look, we can't do anything. It's frustrating that we can't do anything. And th that fire, that fire, remember, is creeping closer and we need to leave. So Killer just says, about as seriously as you can imagine the situation, I ask you, release Kid. You can have my life in exchange. And Vessel just says, yeah, kicks it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... So and he says, like, hey, you know, I bet that uh, kid is fighting with Big Mom right now. Will he succeed at his dream of hunting down an emperor of the sea? Yeah, it's good to set your sights high. If I'm preventing you from succeeding, then cut me down with those sighs or surrender if you'd prefer. I'll put in a good word for you with Kaido. Either way, you stand no chance at all of winning this battle. You've seen the facts for yourself. 
now you know why they've ruled over this sea for so long. You must have felt it in your core biological instincts. There is no way to beat them. But Killer is clearly unconvinced, even though he's getting kicked in the face and can't do anything to fight back. Because he says, you can't get emotional now. I know deep down you regret the decision you made then. Because you fear dying in this future. And here we are, still standing. Which is pretty cool. And also cuts to the core of, well, Hawkins, you're kind of a lame asshole. <laughs> you just gave up. I mean, it's it's a nice note. There's There's been somewhat some level of tease to the idea of like Hawkins isn't quite on the same like he's only with Kaido because Kaido is this horribly imposing figure and he doesn't think there's another way out of it. Um, so it makes sense. Like it, it, it's a way to show that Hawkins isn't quite the bad guy as he comes off here, but he's he's not believing in anybody else, and that's that's his downfall or whatever. Um, it also plays into a stupid card reading gimmick, which mm. every time we see it, it's always him being like, "There's a ninety eight percent chance that we will die here," and every fucking time we see it, it it's the fucking two percent chance that it does it, like that everyone right. survives, like. I know that the gimmick is that he does it all the time and it's probably generally right, but it's one of those things that just like, look, you've just been around for all the times. It doesn't work out. What about all the times that I was like, Oh, I'm going to fight this level two Pidgey. Better do a car thing. So, oh, I'm going to win. That's 99% chance. I'm going to do it. I did it. I mean, there was that one time when, you know, like I kept on using tackle and missing and it just, you know, wiped my whole team. But <laughs> Uh, he draws his sword and says, and, uh, he, and is getting ready to finish off killer and killer says, you know, since we're talking about living without regrets, I guess I'll do just that. You got to sink or swim one way or the other. I have two questions for you first though. If you take damage without a proper conduit, where does that damage go? And Basil says, what are you talking about? You should know how my power works by now. All the damage I take goes to Kid, as long as I hold the straw doll within my body. And Killer cuts off his left arm. <laughs> it's just, I, immediately in the dancing into the air follow-through. <laughs> in, in a move every person saw coming, <laughs> hey, every damage done to you goes to my captain. My captain doesn't have a fucking left arm. What happens if I just cut your left arm off? Like, what are you talking about? It all goes straight to him. Oh, my arm! What the Ow! Ow! <laughs> and Killer very triumphantly says, Kid has no left arm. Second question. Once I take this one out, and he's just got the doll inside of Basil's body, which he presumably just ripped out through the stump of his arm really quickly. After I do this, how many more lives are protecting also, your own? I like that that's a thing, that you could just reach into his body and rip the souls out if you need to, like... Uh, uh, I'll take this. Fucking anybody. Like, Hawkins, your double fruit blows. It fucking blows. Ah, yes. The core of my being, which can be reached through any piercing you make in my body. That someone can, like sneak up on me from behind, just reach into my back and grab 18 souls and be like, oh, hey, no, I needed those. And then Hawkins is, just says very honestly, like, 
yeah, that was the last life protecting mine. Why would you say that? <laughs> that well, maybe my favorite part of all this, he abruptly is like, I also have a tarot card reading gimmick. <laughs> like, yeah, right. It's going to kill you. Check out my giant scythe wielding card of destruction. I'll kill you myself. The killer just cuts his head off. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. The card after it, the tarot card that cuts off the card that I sent. No! <laughs> Why do we even have that card? <laughs> it's like Rex or fucking Weevil Underwood. Like, why do I have a card in my only insect deck that only kills insects? This feels like it could really be used against me. <laughs> All right, and I use this on my insect that'll let me summon another insect. Don't! Don't use copycat on this. <laughs> don't don't use copycat. Don't manipulate my graveyard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Hawk is like, well, fine. You you beat one straw man, but uh, uh, it comes back to my li- life as the cards dictate. Oh, ha ha! Oh no, it's the tower, <laughs> which signifies that all, that the old order is going to collapse. <laughs> oh no. And then he gets cut, and he's like, all my tarot cards! I use those to figure out probability, I guess! Uh, Killer does a cool backflip attack thing, and cuts him up, and Hawkins falls, and his eyes go all white, which means he's actually lost the fight. Uh, and we get, in straw man cards, the tower means the collapse of the old and brittle, and its hidden meaning is a new way forward. And we see the kid doesn't have a headache anymore. <laughs> Because Hawkins wasn't just slamming his head to the wall repeatedly. It really does and make we... you think Hawkins should have been doing something cooler. As opposed to like, yeah, how's your friend going to fight when he has a big headache? Bonk, bonk. Bet you feel like an idiot. Bonk, bonk. Uh, so Killers won the battle. And he just says, get going, partner. Because he's a cool guy. He's a real cool hombre. Man, I <laughs> fucking... I have been championing Hawkins for so fucking long. That dude has always been my favorite member of the fucking Supernovas. And I've just been like, yeah, he sucks now, but he's going to have his moment. He's going to have his moment. And this dude has just fucking eaten penis since he showed up to the moment he went down. Like, I suppose Apu is probably also in the room for, like, the biggest loser of the Supernovas right now. But shit, man, it's going to be tough. Oh, uh, it's all right. You could have, you know, you could have hitched your wagon to the X Drake train and then immediately regretted it. Like, I yeah, <laughs> be like, shit. I guess this dude's not even like. Oh, I know what this dude is. He's the dude who hangs around. I don't really know what his deal is. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I don't really like any of the supernovas, honestly. Outside I, of the Straw Hats, I've come, so. up, I've come around to liking Law. I think in the One Piece reread I did, it it helps to see, like, because he's basically been a straw hat. Like, he was around for all of Dressrosa, he was around in Punk Hazard, he was around in Joe. Like, outside of Whole Cake Island, he's basically been around the straw hats, and I kind of enjoy him a little bit now. Uh, Kid is something that I need to just see more of him, and all of the rest of them are physically there for the most part like capone i don't hate but i don't like love him yeah he's got a cool power set but he's just like all right he's just a guy who's there yeah Yeah. uh and i know 
basically nothing about Uroge. So he's just fucking chills out on an island of balloons or some shit like that. I don't know. Yeah. All right. And with One Piece uh, all wrapped up there, that's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week, everybody. So let's uh, say what our favorites were. Best series and MVP. Ah, man. So my MVP is going to be Buko, uh, which I want that to be listed in the thing. Buko. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> Come on. From, not the least sincere, Undead Unluck. Um, ch- chapter of the week is a lot harder for me. Mm. I'm going to hear your thoughts before I go in. I totally agree with you. It's difficult because there was some stuff that was good this week, but not a lot of stuff that was amazing. Um, I feel like Undead Unluck was probably the best chapter, but I already like I can't just do like, you know, Undead Unluck last week and this week and also when we get the finish of this (laughs) next week too so i am going to make my favorite chapter because favorite is not the same as best uh mashal okay because look that shadow thing was really silly and it did make me laugh and it did surprise me with how it went and i do i do always appreciate if a series will abandon a premise on the first chapter as opposed to the 50th. Like, if you're going to abandon a tournament arc's premise, do it like this, not where it's like, and we've made it to the semifinals, and it's all done. Because then it's it's like, you know, like you said you were going to give this to me, and you built it up, and then you abandoned it, as opposed to, we're going to do this. Nah, just kidding. Yeah. It's much easier. To swap, so. Um, Gosh, I guess what I'm going to go with is, uh, this feels so weird. Because I did like Mashal for that joke, but I don't know if I want to give my favorite chapter. So I guess my chapter of the week is... I, I, it's going to be Red Hood. Like, it's such a weird chapter, but like I kind of dig it because it's like it's going out in the way I kind of really want series to do more afterwards. Like, fuck it. Just fucking everything. Just do it now. Just every... There was this crazy plot and we don't have time to do it. So we're just shoving it into a chapter. Well, and at the end of the year, when we get those stats and it says, like, Chris, you said Red Hood one one weekend. It's like, yeah, because it went crazy stupid. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, that's we'll gonna, know exactly why. So. That's that's going to be the challenge at the end of it is going to be like, hey, so Red Hood was one of your chapters of the week. And I'm going to be like, it was either when Mariopius showed off his mushroom powers or it's going to be at the end of the series when it went fucking bonkers. <laughs> Not yeah. regular Big Joe bonkers, <laughs> but just off the wall bonkers. Oh, man, that's going to have to be like a thing that I just incorporate into my vernacular. Just like, this is like, this has just gone big Joe bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> this has gone big Joe bonkers. Then the people you're talking to are like, what? You're like, you look down on them. You're like, you don't know. All right. Here's your MVP. Nick. <laughs> it's turned around immediately. Killer. Uh, I kind of do that from the get go uh, when reading stuff this week. Um, he looks like a badass, and I do actually appreciate that we are getting just a little bit of insight into the kind of relationship that he and Kid have. Like this, they have that same sort of level of supporting respect that mm-hmm. Zoro and Luffy have, and it gives you enough of it to kind of be like, I kind of do it. I kind of would, you know, like to see like just what their adventure together has kind of been like to lead them to this point where killer is so reluctant to potentially harm his captain. And then he finds a way to do it. It's like, yeah, go get him. Now that I've kicked this idiot's ass. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, so I'll say the audience agreed with you. Killer was their MVP this week. Actually, they agreed with you across the board. Magic, uh, Mashal, Magic and Muscles was also their chapter of the week. So you were on the finger of the pulse of the people this week. And remember, guys, at the end of the year when there was one Chris vote for Buko, remember why that was. Well, it's going to be the same thing, too, when they're like, uh, Boruto won your chapter of the week at one point. Be like, why the fuck did Boruto win? And I'm like, oh, right, the week code was here. <laughs> and uh, with all that said, that's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week. Thank you guys for joining us for the show. We record live here on twitch.tv slash T, usually starting around 7.30-ish p.m. Eastern Time, Wednesdays. Uh, and uh, you can check out when the podcast goes live, either by following us on Twitter, uh, T, Nick F. Time, WR Podcast are the places to follow, or by joining our Discord server. We have a great Discord community. They do bi-weekly gaming nights. They talk about the chapters as they come out each week. And also there is a section dedicated to just talking about the recommendation as people are kind of reading along with us and just giving off the cuff reactions to the stupid and great moments that occur in those series as we prepare for the podcast. And also you can use that to find the Google Doc maintained by Ninja X3i, which is keeping track of all sorts of different helpful information, the MVP voting that we talked about before, uh, recommended series like the one I'll be naming in a bit, and uh, just all sorts of helpful stuff. What we have covered, uh, you can use that to check it out, too, if you're not sure whether to recommend something because you're not sure if we've covered it in the 10 plus years we've been doing this show. And uh, finally, we'd like to thank Milo Jack Stilitz, Winslow Cheddar, for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap, which you can see on YouTube, youtube.com slash Weekly Manga Recap. And Steve Mann, who does the occasional title cards, which you can also see on YouTube. And you can check out all of his artwork uh, in various different places, twitter.com slash Steve Mann Art, and generally wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. Hell yeah. That brings us to the recommendation we're going to come up with next time. And I feel as if we've had some series that just haven't clicked with us in the last couple of weeks and so i think it's time we get down to really blunt premises and so i'm going to go with the one that was pitched to us by tropical for this one okay which i'm nervous i lost my place in the document <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous this is a tropical we could get a tropical presents uh okay this is imperial guard kokoku no shugosha which has been premised but which has been pitched with what if war but with saber tooth tigers as pokemon <laughs> just saber tooth tigers yes okay <laughs> all right all right i'm down for that. i love saber tooth tigers they're like my fifth uh, favorite jungle cat this seems like it's going to be a bit of a shorter recommendation so uh, we'll see how this works out now is this going to be like real ninjas is it gonna be like real saber-toothed tigers <laughs> the real saber-toothed tigers which could breathe fire <laughs> i every every so I, I think i saw basilisk somewhere i think i saw it like volumes for it on sale or something like that and every time i think about that series i just think about how it was pitched real to us as real ninjas <laughs> And the first thing they do is have superpowers. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, yeah, that's going to do it for the manga recap. And uh, uh. with that, of course, 
my time in this world has come to an end, Nick. So I bid you adieu, and I I hope you take care of yourself. Thanks, Big Master General. I appreciate that. There's nothing left to do now but to say goodbye. Or perhaps I should say booed by. You could have said a boo. <laughs> you could have said a boo, and you didn't. Instead, you did that. 